Maybe I'm pregnant. I love cereal. Live from the Hilltop World Headquarters in my house. This is the Personal Finance from the Hilltop podcast, and I'm your host, Kyle Hill. Always wanted to do that. Uh, that's my uh, Dave Ramsey impersonation. So, uh, hey everyone, hope you're doing well. We're we're back. You probably thought we were taking the summer off. Nope, just uh, behind on uh, getting this podcast out. So, I apologize uh, for the delay. Apologize to Tony. I've been telling him for like a month now, over a month probably, that I'm getting this out and things have come up and <laughs> and then we went on a, about a two-week vacation to Colorado so um, I hauled my desktop computer out there trying to get this done and uh, didn't end up happening I ended up falling asleep uh, at night so uh, whereas I normally stay up late at night doing this podcast uh, just just doesn't happen on vacation so uh, but we had a good time went to uh, our annual vacation summer vacation to Estes Park Went to, we stay at the YMCA of the Rockies. It's a great little place um, out on the edge of Estes Park. Butts up to Rocky Mountain National Park. Do some hiking into the into the national park from there. Didn't do too much this year, though. So uh, just did some relaxation uh, while the kids were in camp, both of them for the first time ever. So that was awesome. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, had a great time out there. No bear incidents this time, so... I have to tell you about that some other time where we had a bear get into our car. But, uh, um, yeah, and uh, before we went out there, stayed in Avon, Avon, Colorado, up in Beaver Creek. So in the gated areas of Beaver Creek. So, um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good time. Uh, stayed out there and then uh, drove in on the back way to... Uh, Estes Park, but going uh, by Granby Lake, and uh, did kind of a full circle. And uh, after we got a couple miles out of Avon, we went down a half-paved dirt gravel road for about 25 miles. And my first, my first thought, uh, my wife planned the trip, so my uh, first question to her was, uh, was she planning on burying my body or just letting the uh, animals eat me? So. Um, but actually it turned out being a beautiful drive through the mountains. So, uh, just glad, uh, we didn't have any car trouble. Um, because I've seen the movie, the Hills have eyes. So anywho, um, yeah, yeah. So we're not taking the summer off, just a little slow getting this out. Uh, had a little vacation, things slow down in the summer, although we're super busy here at Hilltop, uh, uh, which they say busy is never bad or uh, better than the alternative. So uh, we're staying busy, have uh, uh, new clients and, and uh, prospects coming on all the time. So um, appreciate the support. I was hoping to get this out uh, before Memorial Day, actually. So I, I missed the boat on that one, and now we're buttoning up on the 4th of July. just wanted to take a moment uh say thank you i know memorial day is kind of our official start start unofficial start to summer um it's a day i kind of reflect on uh really think about the men and women who have uh uh, made the ultimate sacrifice for us for our freedoms um really think about my uh my dad and my my grandfather um who uh 
fought in World War II, and uh, um, I always uh, have kind of made a habit on Memorial Day to to watch Saving Private Ryan. I, I recall when that first came out, my my uh, grandfather, who was in the Navy Seabees, um, on a boat over to Japan, and uh, um, he always talks about how that movie um, did a really good job of portraying what it was like being in the war um, and how just violent and brutal and um, and and it's the closest thing to reality he had seen and so um, really makes me think about him on that day and and then just uh, uh, my father being in the army um, yeah it's a it's a, a a privilege to live in this great nation. Um, I truly believe this is the greatest country in the, that the world has ever seen. Um, continues to be great. And uh, I'm sitting here rocking my American flag hat and getting ready for the 4th of July to celebrate freedom and independence. So um, before we hop into things, if you want to skip the fluff, check the show notes. Uh, and there's the marker in there where you can go to uh, dive into our topic. Um, but Tony and I kind of shoot the breeze, um, talk a little more wrestling, shocking, and uh, have a good old time. So I think this is the longest episode. So. <laughs> but uh, it was a lot of fun. We should probably just name, rename the show Shooting the Shit with uh, Tony and Kyle, So at least when he's on. So, But uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, gives some great tips, uh, advice for selling a house. Um, and, uh, had a lot of fun with this one. So, um, but before we dive into our episode, I just need to remind you this for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as advice because I'm not your advisor. However, I could be, if I did my proper due diligence and evaluated your personal situation, the best way to get that process started is to schedule a call with me. And you can do that by going to my website located in the show notes. That's me pointing down to the show notes. Everything is in the show notes. Without further ado, here's my interview with Tony Long. All right. Happy snowy 420 today. I'm so ready for spring and summer. <laughs> Tony Long, welcome back, sir. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Thank you for having me back. I really appreciate this. I kind of like this, actually. Yeah, it's good to see you. So, um, I say, I say, uh, 420. I'm, I'm hot boxing it in my room here, and I don't mean I'm, I'm smoking it up. I'm uh, using the space heater to stay warm because it's <laughs> so cold out. And when you record, they tell you to turn off all the sounds, including like your HVAC system, and so it gets kind of cold in the house in the winter time. So, um, I was, I was heating the place up in here before we started <laughs> recording. So, um, but uh, does this kind of change your plans for viewing homes today with um, the snow, the weather? It does not, but it does change your plans on listing houses. So usually we take photographs on Tuesday. We'll talk about this in a little bit, mm -hmm. but we usually take photographs on Tuesdays and then we list houses on either Thursdays or Fridays. Um, but you do not want to usually want to take a picture of snow on a house. So um, we reschedule photo like on a, on a snow day like this, we reschedule photographs for Wednesday or what, what a day that the snow is going to be thought. So don't worry, it's good that now if you look out, it doesn't even look like it snowed. 
So we'll be able to take photographs tomorrow. Yeah, it was, uh, we were just talking about this. It was a uh, winter wonderland this morning when I was driving the boys to daycare and now the snow's like almost all melted. So, mm-hmm. um, crazy Midwest weather. Yeah. What's new? Know. So, yeah. Well, Hey, I, uh, appreciate you. Uh, welcome back. I appreciate Thanks you uh, carving out some time for me to, uh, hop on the mic again. And, uh, first things first, I've got to, I've got to announce, I've got to admit Tony did not run cross country in high school. I was wrong. <laughs> so I, I was I was just sure of it. Did, did you play any other sports? Soccer, maybe? Soccer for a couple years, but just wrestling. Soccer until my sophomore year, maybe, but just wrestling. Yep, just wrestling. Okay. 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 So awesome. Um have you been back to Manhattan since they've expanded the high school? No, and I actually kind of want, would like to go back just to see the high school, um, just because I, I I remember the high school like yesterday, so I could walk you through it with my eyes closed, but I'd like to see what it looks like now. It was a cool yeah. high school, if you think about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so they expanded, what would that, that'd be east, into the, wasn't it the old senior parking lot? Yep, yep. And that was like sacred ground for the seniors. If you saw yep, another classroom parking in there. Uh, you better not be there for long. Well, then you also, but, and if you didn't make that lot, you parked in the cemetery, you parked on the road that was like the outside road to the cemetery actually. Yeah. I was, um, give you an idea about me. I was usually back along that gravel road where it wraps around by the cemetery. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, it was so far back. It wasn't even in line with the cemetery. It was like when the road bends south, um, that's, that's kind of how far back I was. Um, did you know, did you know that Tiger Woods' dad is buried in that cemetery? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was telling, I just told someone, I just told, so I think I told my wife actually, we were watching the Tiger Woods documentary on HBO and I was like, his dad is buried. And oh yeah, the Tiger Woods documentary is on HBO. I had said his dad is buried in Manhattan, Kansas, right next to the Manhattan. Ed. And she was like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, dead serious. Yeah. Yeah, I, I my my wife loves cemeteries. Um, for some reason, she uh, majored in uh, gerontology. Um, but uh, that'd be a good place to go. Um, yeah. Going back to Manhattan and finding that, I'm I'm surprised it's not like a, an attraction or something. I would, be, yeah. I mean, my question is: Is Tiger Woods ever go back there to visit his dad's grave? And like, if he did, it must be G14 super classified. I mean, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So well, he's driving so fast. You don't see him, right? Oh, that was a good one. That was a, that was a good one. Uh, that, that, uh, who was I listening to recently that was talking about that? Um, might've been Clay Travis, the guy from outkick. Mm-hmm. I think he was on, uh, Megan Kelly's podcast, which is a really good podcast. I like hers. They're very long like mine. So, yeah. um, <laughs> And she does them three times a week. So, but he was talking about um, kind of a comparison of Tiger Woods and Britney Spears and how these child sensations and how they were just never allowed to grow up and why they've kind of had these issues in their adult life um, because they were just surrounded by people preying on them and wanting access to them at such an early age. And I don't, 
uh, maybe I'm not doing the podcast justice, but uh, it was it was a fascinating take. And um, yeah, it's, I just remember. Are you you're a golfer? Uh, nope, not really. But I mean, I I'll, I'll watch it sometimes on TV and stuff like that. But um, I do remember it hit back in his heyday, though. I mean, I watched golf when he was back in his heyday for sure. I mean, you just thought he was going to destroy the record books. Yep. Um, and then just injuries set on, and then the issue with his um, now ex-wife and more injuries. And so, and then now you have this and I mean, it sounds like it's, I don't know what the latest, uh, is on him, but it sounds like it's going to be a miracle if he ever plays again. Yeah. Did you see, have you, did you watch the documentary on HBO? I haven't. Yeah, you'll, you'll have to watch it. It's a three, it's a two part series. Maybe it's a, it's a two part series that goes from him being, I mean, his dad was, ruthless actually we'll say that and then yeah. it goes into like the, him falling apart or whatever it is pretty like there for a while he was like training with navy seals that's what he wanted to do and um it's a pretty awesome documentary actually yeah, okay okay i might have to borrow your uh hbo password then yeah deal i'll give you my <laughs> hbo max password i mean just kidding so um anywho awesome so going back to high school so i was you've got three other sisters you have mm-hmm. three sisters, um, and one older, and then I was in between your two younger sisters. I'm actually the oldest. I have three younger sisters, so I'm oh, the yeah. oldest of the four. Yep. Okay. So I graduated in 98. Amy was 2000. Amber was 2002. Amy. Sarah was 2004. We're all two years apart. And I was 2003. I was in yep. between. So you're in, yep, you're in between Amber and Amy. Yeah. So um, Amber's married, right? Yep. Yep. Married to a guy by the name of Mike Schusler, actually. Okay. 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 So, cause I remember she, in uh, high school, she dated uh, Spencer Roberts for a while. Spencer Roberts who lives in Kansas city still. I don't know if he, he was, um, I just saw him at, um, a case day event at last year, actually. Um, he was the managing, does some, a manager for the national, uh, golf course up in KCMO. Okay. Um, like the head, okay. he's like, I don't, 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 this is not called the head groundskeeper, but he's like head of there because he graduated in golf course management actually. So. Oh, he, uh, he knocked me out of my football career. <laughs> 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 no, no, no. Uh, my junior year when we were practicing scrimmaging, um, I remember getting a hit by him and, uh, pretty sure it caused a concussion. Oh. Um, I didn't realize it at the time. I just f- was feeling, you know, this pain and I'm like, I'm done with this. And I actually quit that year and then, uh, sat out that year to focus on wrestling and then came back for my senior year just cause I wanted to be part of the guys. But yeah, he, <laughs> he was the one that laid the hit on me that knocked me out. Oh, they were like, yeah, this is dumb. I don't like this. I don't like this feeling. Yeah, no, but it's all good. It worked out. So, and then Sarah, I, I remember having Spanish class with her. I was kind of goofball in that class. So, uh, yeah, they're all yeah. married now. We all have a boatload of kids. Sarah has three kiddos. Amber has two. Amy has two, actually. So, and then there's me with four. Okay. And Amy does the pictures for you. Amber works for a title company. Amy, uh, um, Amber, actually, no, Amy lives in El Dorado, Kansas. And her husband owns Willie's Sports Bar. So the Willie Sports Bar that was in Manhattan, Kansas. Yeah. Him Who's and that? his partner, uh, Josh Hall is his name. 
Um, he, uh, him and his partner DJ owned Willie's Sports Bar in Manhattan. And then okay. DJ opened a Willie's in Atchison, Kansas. So um, DJ runs the Willie's in Atchison. And then Josh and Amy moved to El Dorado, which is Josh's his hometown. That's his hometown. And opened a Willie's down there. And those Willie's in those small towns, small college towns, just kill, man. Just kill. So, um, and Amy is a photographer. She takes like family pictures and stuff like that, but does not photograph uh, houses for me. But yes, she does our family yeah. photos. Um, she did your Santa pictures, right? That is correct. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> um, and then Amber, my sister, was working for Platinum Title, um, but now works for Long Real Estate, actually. So I, um, she worked for Platinum Title for oof, maybe five or six years. Um, and then just recently, Cassie, that we discussed on our last podcast, resigned yeah. um, so that she could stay, be a stay-at-home mom. She wanted to spend more time with her daughter. Um, and so then I now have a new marketing gal named Emily Hagen. And then my sister, Amber is my transaction coordinator. She does all the paperwork and all the, once, once a listing goes under contract, she stays in touch with the sellers to tell them when to switch utilities and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Okay. So awesome. I, I can understand wanting to stay home with a daughter, but two boys. Oh man, my, yeah. I, I mean, but Cassie's Cassie was like, Hey, I'm only having one and I'm missing out on her childhood. I want to, and she is happy as can be. I still talk to Cassie probably once a week and I'm always like, what'd you do today? She's like, uh, Eve and I were outside playing. I mean, she is really enjoying her life. I'm like, Oh, that's great. I'm not I'm working my tail off. So good for her. So you, we were talking about this before. So I met your grandpa. We, my dad used to live by him. Uh, my grandpa Long or my grandpa Eckert? Over your grandpa that lived over on Glens, Glens Drive? Yep. Over yep. there by Tataracks? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Where did your dad live compared to my grandpa? My grandpa still lives there, actually. Okay. So uh, they were there. I think they moved there 2004. Um, I think it was – they were the first um, owners of the house. I don't remember. There were only a couple houses up in that little – cul-de-sac mm -hmm. at the top of the gravel road um at the at the time his would have been the uh, first one on the left mm -hmm. i don't know if they put any more in there um but i think around 2004 because it was nancy nancy woodford was the one that there was their agent did he um, build he didn't build there because when my grandpa no. my grandma and grandpa first lived there nothing was up there and then now if you go to their house now there are there are houses up there yeah 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 i think there were three four up there when they moved in it was the first one um they lived there for a year and a half two years i think and then they moved uh but i lived there when i was in college for a couple summers because i was telling you um after my uh freshman year in college my mom moved down to wichita and my sister moved away to kansas city and dad was the only one that was still there so it was like everyone was trying to get rid of me um <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, I met your grandpa when I was out mowing the yard a few times. So he's got a big, my, that, that grandpa, he's got a big garden actually. So down below his, his house sits and there's a bunch of tiers that go down to his yard and he's got a massive garden down there, but yeah, still lives there. It's a way too big of a house for him, but still lives there. Good, good. Doing all right. Yeah. Doing great. Actually, my grandpa will probably outlive me or... <laughs> I looked at, I look at my grandpa and say, God, if he, I mean, he's healthy. I mean, he, and my grandpa's probably 
86, 87, still gets up and goes and has coffee at Vista every morning with his guy friends um, nice. to, to just shoot um, shoot the shit and freaking goes fishing all the time. I mean, is top notch. And I'm just like, if he is that doing that well, hopefully I got those genes because there's a very good chance I'll live past 100. So you're good yeah, to he's go. doing well. So awesome. Remind me, what, what, what area of Manhattan did you grow up in? Uh, so, truth be told, the Long family lived in almost 12 different houses in Manhattan. Um, we started in Lake Elbow. Do you know where Lake Elbow is? That is going to be the east, east, no, east part of town over by Walmigo. We lived in two houses there. My dad had a house. My dad and mom, their first house was there. And then we moved to Timber Creek too. We lived in two houses there that my dad built. Then as I started getting into middle school, we moved to the west side of town. We lived in Tataracts. We lived in a place called Eagles Ridge, which is down Seth Childs. My dad still lives there and lives out in Tuttle Creek. But if you count the rental houses we lived in while my dad built the next house, I think the count is like 12 to 13 houses. We lived in 12 to 13 houses. Yep. No shit. Uh, yep. That's what's funny is when I first got into real estate, people would say, do you know anything about real estate? I'm like, uh, no, but I should because my parents <laughs> bought and sold as many houses as we did. But I mean, we would literally sell a house, move into a rental house while my dad built the next house and we'd move into that house. Um, I mean, counting the rental house, we were all over the place. Yeah. Did he have... Uh, his own development crew and everything or nope. my dad built them him and my grandfather. So he would sub some of the stuff out. Like he would sub yeah. maybe sheetrock out or something like that. But some of those he built, I mean, we, he took, it would took him a year to year and a half, but built them all by himself. Oh, wow. That's serious. Awesome. Now my dad can build a house, can do anything when it comes to a house. I myself can't do jack squat. <laughs> I can replace a ceiling fan. That's about it. So I didn't learn. That's right. that's right. so, so yeah, Lake Elbow. Um, that's where I got my uh, Buick Skylark up to hundred miles an hour on that back road. And on that back road, that, was it gravel when you were driving or was it pavement? It's pavement. No, it was pavement. It was yeah, pavement. Okay. Um, my high school girlfriend lived out there actually. So across from uh, uh, the uh, um, Rickles, the, the beer distributor. Yep. Um, yeah. My grand, my, so my grandma, grandpa Eckert. So grandpa long is the guy that lived next to your, um, your dad, my grandma and grandpa Eckert still are alive and live out of Lake Elbow. They've lived there since I was born actually. So oh, okay. beautiful place out there. So yep. awesome. Um, just to, uh, give you an update. I know on the last episode on the episode you were on, we were talking about a duel between the 1998 versus the 2002 wrestling teams. Yep. I, uh, I actually reached out to Woody. We started texting when um, the NCAA championships were on. And uh, did you catch any of that? I watched a little bit of it. Yeah. Did you see that Spencer Lee won the national, his third national championship? And he did it with, I guess, a partially torn ACL. Oh, jeez. Well, yeah, 125 pounds. Imagine wrestling with a with a bad ACL. Like no thanks. All, no. Oh yeah, exactly. When he when he said that, I'm like, how is that even possible? And I'm like, okay, it's not a full tear, I guess, right? It's a partial tear, but still, even that. I just, 
which you knew something was up because he he had an extra brace on during the tournament on his knee that wasn't normally there and so it kind of led you on to something um yeah that guy's crazy insane but so i reached out to woody we were texting back and forth and i asked him who would win and uh finally got back to me today i i texted him i said i was talking to you today and um any any word he said you know he said i'd have to think about it and so he came back and said tough call looks to be seven to seven in the matchups might have been decided by the walter brothers matchup ah i think we need to make that happen did they met did they um did they wrestle in the same weight class once i know they were yeah yeah, really they both wrestled huh that's crazy because kenneth kenneth took third and then his brother, his younger brother, Jonathan, who beat up on me in practice all the time, um, he took second. He lost to Brett Stewart in the First final. Of, that is a very PC response from Lee Woodford. Like, hey, seven to seven, it would be. And then he says it would be debated upon two brothers wrestling each other. Like, that That'd is very awesome. like, hey, I'm, I don't want to make anybody mad. I will do. <laughs> I'll say it this way. I mean, don't get me wrong. That is, that is strategy right there. That was a very good, that was a structured response right there. I, I was tempted to, to follow up, say, just asking for a friend, would I have won my matchup? <laughs> but we'll never know. Um, he listened to the previous episode and he said, so what is the suck? He said, Tony, Tony mentioned the suck. What is the suck? I said, well, I don't, I don't want to speak for him, but I think it was the cutting the weight. You know, I, I don't think wrestling sucked it was just the just i mean it was practice was not fun that sucked and but everyone had to go through the sun yeah i i loved practice i hated i hated uh going to tournaments and stuff because you're Um, sitting around all day and i'd get i'd get nervous before every match even if i knew i'd pinned this kid you know three times before you know it's just and maybe i was too conservative of a wrestler didn't take too many chances right um because i didn't want to do something stupid and and uh get beat um but uh yeah i i i just i loved practice oh no i don't miss (laughs) i don't miss the smell of that room at all um um, I actually um, news as of i think last week i think sean bombas is the new coach for manhattan high isn't he i Uh, Hold on. I News just saw something on that. Hold on to say, well, I mean, we can still talk, but while we talk, I will look this up. I'm almost positive. I follow him on Facebook and I could have swore he just, he said something about um, Manhattan High Wrestling. Dang it. Um, which would be really, really cool. If I'm right on this, it'd be really cool because, I mean, that guy has a long history with Manhattan High Wrestling. Yeah. Because um, he was 96, wasn't he? He graduated in 96. Yeah. Okay. So I cannot um happy for my man Sean Bombas on his new gig. The young men of Manhattan High are in great hands. Yeah. MHS hires Sean Bombas as head wrestling coach. Yep. Very um, cool. That was April 9th. Um, the Mercury posted that and then he posted something about I cannot say enough to the support that comes through comments and all that kind of stuff so um, yeah I didn't comment on it but I, I remember glancing it on my phone so yeah that is really cool actually that he yeah. is not a new head coach breaking news on this podcast 
Yeah, breaking <laughs> news. So, so, yeah. That's awesome. So, uh, uh, Sean and not Mike, because Mike was an assistant coach when I was uh, there. But, yeah, yeah and Sean. Mike is an, uh, is a – but Mike was doing baseball coach somewhere. Um, so, but I think Sean was doing some sort of coaching for – Manhattan, but wasn't the head coach, but now is now the head coach. So, okay. Yeah. So I know when I was in high school, he was out at Hayes and I think he'd maybe moved around since then, but awesome. Yeah. Um, well, I told everyone, uh, we wouldn't focus too much on wrestling, but, uh, you know what? <laughs> Things happen. Uh, well, before we, uh, get into our topic today, figured we could do another abbreviated version of 15 minutes of fluff with okay. Tony Long. Cause I like it. I don't know if the audience likes it. If it's about you, they will, but um, they probably don't want to know about me. Um, so if you're ready for it. I'm ready. Got to get a swig of water. I was actually looking to see if uh, there was a way for uh, Woody to call in and do like a <laughs> brief <laughs> Dr- drop in on the interview. So, uh, but yeah, uh, we'll figure something out. So, uh, Number one, favorite place to go in Kansas City? Um, kids, prior to kids, I still, this is, I'm a kid at heart. I love Worlds of Fun. Okay. Um, I, we, when we were kids, when I was a kid, um, we didn't go on a lot of vacations because there were four of us. Um, and so Worlds of Fun was like a vacation spot. So I still love Worlds of Fun. But now that I have children, um, I would probably say the zoo is our favorite place to go. Okay. 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 Yeah. We just drove by uh world of fun last night. We live up by world of fun and we went to the Royals game and it was freezing. Oh my God. Now, when you, uh, not to get off subject, when you, the Royals, did you have to buy four tickets? Um, someone had to buy four tickets. Okay. Got it. Got it. Sounds yeah. good. Cause I was, yeah. I, Tara and I, um, were wanting to go last weekend when we were playing the blue Jays and tickets were number one, not cheap at all. Um, one, and then two, you couldn't buy just two tickets. I mean, you probably could if you got there and scalped them, but online you could not buy two tickets. You had to buy a minimum of four. Okay. Okay. Yeah. My, uh, my in-laws buy tickets and they're generous enough to, uh, spread them amongst the family. So yeah, I was, I was going to say it was cool. When did you, what game did you go to? Uh, last night against Tampa Bay, I, (laughs) I was, we left after middle of the I was going to say, it was getting cold. I, I've been freezing. watching. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of watching, uh, and they're good this year, so I like watching. Um, and they were the commentators were like, it looks like it's nice here, but it is not. It is slowly just dropping in temperature. So It was, it was freezing. We were out uh, um, by the um, left field on the uh, foul side, mm-hmm. um, and – it was freezing, but my five-year-old Thomas was loving it. I mean, <laughs> it, it, he lives and breathes for baseball. It's all he wants to do is go play baseball, play catch in the yard. He plays coach pitch. I'm his. Uh, I'm an assistant coach for his team, um, and uh, we've actually had him getting hitting instructions from a former scout for the Royals. Um, so it's, it's something my father-in-law did. Uh, some of his friends, their older, their son, who's 14 has been working with this guy for six, seven years. Um, and it is amazing 
this kid is uh, chase is phenomenal um uh, he has colleges already scouting him and so they invited us up they live um over uh up north of liberty and they on their property have a hitting barn that they've set up for him and mm-hmm. they invited us up there to go have lessons with uh jerry jerry is the scout and um and so my son and my nephew i've been taking them up there to do that and it's been a lot of fun um seeing his his development oh that's um, awesome yeah, I mean, five years old. It's in hitting lessons. It sounds kind of insane. You're like, I never did that, but that is that's the <laughs> yeah. new that's the new that's the new thing, though. Yeah. So um, he's got a pretty good hit. I'm I'm proud, Papa. So he doesn't like to listen to me, though. Good for you. Good for you, man. Good for you. <laughs> so um, funny, funny. I put this question down, and before I even thought about it for myself, and I honestly don't know what my favorite place in Kansas City is. Um, I've got a, several places that I enjoy going to. Um, the zoo is one of them with kids. That's definitely yeah. one of them. That's that's one of the places we go a lot. Um, English Landing, but I I don't know if I have a favorite place. And it's it's kind of funny. I I, I thought about this and I'm like, my favorite place might be my in laws' house. Um. <laughs> uh, just because that's where we all go, um, yeah. we go for family gatherings and everything. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, sounds a little corny, but no, it's not at all. Not at all. Yeah. I mean, I love going out to the K. Um, I love it how it is right now because I hate crowds. And so everybody's spaced out. I just, uh, you know, but I, I will, I will say this going to a Royals game is, uh, I miss it. That's what we, I mean. Tara and I used to love going to Royals game before we had kids loved going to Royals games. Um, and I actually can't wait to actually take my, cause my, my kids actually know what the Royals are and some of that. Um, so I, I mean, I can't, I mean, don't get me wrong. They're going to sit from maybe two innings and then we'll have to do the whole walk around and some of that. But yeah. the, the, the Kauffman stadium has, is done well for families. Actually, it's a great place for, to take the family. So, yeah. Yeah. And how they, um, uh, well, God, how many years ago was that? As in the early mid two thousands, when they did the renovations of the outfield and tied it all together, like you're saying, yep. uh, it's like almost, I mean, it's a, yep, and it's a kid fun area over there. I mean, they got the carousel and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah, but my three year old Harrison is just our slugger, and it's funny because he he's been scared of slugger, but he always wants to know where slugger is. Yeah, wants to see you, see him, but he doesn't want yeah. to be close to him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were at a game uh, last year with my father-in-law, day game, and not many. I guess this was two years ago. God, we we missed all last year. Um, we were at a day game, and we were uh, uh, sitting in the stands, and um, not very many people around us. And uh, Slugger came down, and my son, he's been looking for Slugger the entire time, and he's directly on our row down, you know, several chairs from us. And my son starts freaking out and going the other way, trying to get away from him. And Slugger's, you know, trying to get him to come over. But then when he he go, Slugger goes away, he's like, "Where's Slugger?" Yeah, like, exactly. Uh, you missed your chance, man. You missed your chance. Yeah, yeah. So, when's the last time you went back to Manhattan, and what did you do? Uh, you know what? I have no idea when the last time I was in Manhattan. Uh, probably. Uh, probably two years ago, and I went down 
my grandma and grandpa still live in Lake Elbow. So I went down there to see them by my by solo. And um, my grandfather, I used to ride motorcycles at, at a very, very small age. And my grandfather still had my Yamaha 50cc motorcycle. And he was like, hey, do you want to take this? And I was like, sure. So I drove down to pick that up. And it had not been driven or started since oh, probably... My cousins used to ride it a little bit, but it hadn't been started since maybe 2007. Oh, I mean, wow. the tires tires are cracked, all <laughs> sorts of stuff. And I now have a guy in south of Lewisburg working on that motorcycle to actually get it up and running. And what's funny is I took it to the guy and I was like, hey, man, I need to get this thing up and running, clean the carburetor, do all that kind of stuff. And he's like, you know, this is going to cost a little bit of money. I'm like, yep. And he was like, you can buy a brand new Yamaha. They're called PW50s. Um, you can buy a brand new Yamaha PW50 for right around three grand. I was like, yep. But I was like, this has sentimental value. I learned how to ride a motorcycle when I was six years old on this. Um, I need this one. I need this one. He's like, all right, sounds good. Um, so, and he's supposed to be done. I told him, take his time. I was like, please put that on your back burner. Um, just working on when you can. I, my, my kids are not old enough to ride it yet. Um, I was hoping to ride it like through the neighborhood, like down to the pool and some of that with Lucy. Um, and I'm supposed to be getting it back in the next 30 days. So, Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. So that's an awesome story. Uh, last time I was in Manhattan, I had to jog my memory. I want to say last year, but we missed out on a whole year. So, um, I think these memories are from, you know, two years ago, but <laughs> Fall, fall of 2019, I know we went for the Baylor game when we got stomped, um, which the stadium is phenomenal. I remember I mean, you remember when they first put in the new press box back in the early 90s, and it was like a big deal, a big thing. And now they have this castle fortress looking thing that's just phenomenal. Well, I mean, I like going back. This was a couple of years ago. Like I remember when K-State got their big screen, which was the screen that was like where the right above, like where the players run out and it yeah. looked huge. And then you, then they put the big, big screen on the other side. And that little guy looks just like the, res, the resolution's not good on it. You're like, Oh my God, that is the horrible screen now. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it is nuts how far that place has come along. Yeah. Yeah. The baby screen. So yeah, yeah. Fall of, of 2019 Baylor game. I think we went in maybe spring of 2019 for a day trip, and I remember it was cold out, and we ended up in kites. And my kids, maybe it was just Thomas, was dancing on the dance floor in kites and running all around. So I don't know, but I wanted to say that was last year, but I know it wasn't last year. But <laughs> the next question. What is one personal finance topic you would like to hear about on this podcast? Stocks, trading stocks. Trading stocks. What yeah. in particular, how to do it? Uh, what should we invest in? Because I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, I, don't know, I don't know. That's always been something I've never, ever done. Um, and something that's always appealed to me, but I would never have the time to do it. Because I know that if you're going to do that, you got to kind of watch that. But um, I don't know. I've always, um, way back in the day, a very, very close friend of mine when, um, who is still a very, very close friend of mine, when he was born, his parents or his grandparents 
um, like invested a thousand dollars in three stocks that um, my friend, his name is Willie, at the time loved as a kid. So they okay they yeah. invested a thousand dollars in Tonka, like Tonka trucks. Yep. And I can't think of the other three because one of them is still very, very good. Um, and I can't think of what it was. But I always thought, I'm like, that's a cool idea. You know what I mean? Um, Disney? I don't know. I really yeah. don't know. Okay. Um, but like I was thought, but I don't know. There's always been something with stocks that I've always, I've always thought, I'm like, that's, I mean, you hear about people like, oh, I made, you know, $2,000 by trading the stock then. And don't get me wrong, during COVID, I was like all about like, man, I think I want to buy airline stocks. And I was like, but then I was like, why, why would I do that? I have no idea why. Um, it was just more of like, oh, let's just see. Um, and then all this stuff that just came, went on with GameStop, what, like two months ago or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. The, the idea of stocks, buying and selling stocks kind of appeals to me, even though I would probably never do it. So Okay. Okay. I might have a book for you. Um, cool. Gives me some ideas. Um, all right. And uh, we're going to change it up a little bit. Instead of your walk-up song, since we already got that. Um, Hanging Tough. And then uh, Jimi Hendrix. I'll make, I'll make love to you. Well, first of all, um, that, your, that question came up to me and my brother-in-law's on Easter. We were watching something on TV on Easter, um, hanging out at my brother-in-law's house. And I brought that question up and, um, cause the, all the little boys and that play baseball now, all the, all the kids have walk-up songs. Yeah. My, my, my nephew, his, I mean, his team has, they all have walk-up songs. And I mentioned Jimi Hendrix voodoo child. And they're all like, what, what is the song? I'm like, Google it, just Google it. And they, <laughs> they were like, Oh my God, that is it. I'm like, yeah, duh. It is a good song. And then I said, Kyle Hill, the guy that hosts the podcast, he would walk up to boys to men. I'll make love to you. And everyone stopped like, what? And I was like, but just think you're walking up to the mound and that's playing and you're looking at the picture. And my brother-in-law thought it was hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> so. I was wondering where that was going for a second. No, I, I mean, they, me. they were just all like, that is hilarious that he said that. I'm like, oh yeah, I laughed when he said it. So, <laughs> uh, so instead of walk up song, what song gets Tony on the dance floor? The electric slide. My wife will tell you that too. Actually, the electric slide. I can. Um, I used to back in the day. Um, my four years or my many years that I was in college, I worked for Complete Music, which was a wedding DJ company. Right. Not that many people know about that. That's like one of the the hidden talents of Tony Long. I loved um, being a wedding DJ, um, and Complete Music is a company that the DJ actually has to go out and dance and try to get people on the floor and stuff like that. Um, so I can electric slide like nobody's business. So um, <laughs> the electric slide will always get me out on the floor, actually. Nice. So. Nice. Um, mine is Yeah by Usher featuring Little John and Ludacris. Um, I, have, I have a disclaimer there. There is a two-drink limit on that to make that happen. Um, so I'm kind of like the Tin Man. I just need a little oil to get flowing. Yeah, get going. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so that's a good song. Have, have you ever, speaking of Ludacris, have you ever seen his rap, Llama Llama? Oh, yes. Um, I have because I actually did not know about that book until I had a, chill, a child. And therefore, a good bro, 
four or five months, that was the only book we could read my daughter at, at bed was she wanted to read Llama Llama Red Pajamas. Um, and so then we got into that book and that's when Tara was like, hey, Ludacris actually has a rap to that. And so I found the YouTube video. Oh, yeah. It is oh, so yeah. good. Yes, it is very good. He needs to do an album that is story time with Ludacris. <laughs> that would sell. I would uh, buy that instantly. Um, if nobody has checked that out, Llama Llama, Ludacris, it's phenomenal. I just wish he kept going because um, it's like a minute and 45 seconds. Yeah. He like does that. it on a. He was he was being interviewed on a, a radio show when he did it. Actually, yeah, yeah. yeah. Does, does it off the cuff too? Actually, so yeah, no, it was it was phenomenal. We uh, before bed, I found out about it. I don't know a year or so ago, and for a while there, it was like our before bedtime ritual where we'd listen to Llama Llama and the boys would dance in their bedroom. <laughs> Uh, and for my wife, what gets her on the dance floor? Whitney Houston. I want to dance with somebody. She drags me onto the floor if that comes on. So, um, and then a bonus, um, this is to, uh, your chip question. What's your favorite cereal? Frosted flakes. And that's, it's so cheesy because it was my favorite cereal when I was a kid because it was Tony the tiger. Um, but frosted flakes are probably still, even though Tara and I are going through, we went through a cereal phase. Tara, every time she gets pregnant is like loves is in that's like what she craves is cereal. And I'm not big into that, but when the cereals in the pantry, I got to eat it. So we've had lots of different cereals lately, but I would say close second. So frosted flakes is number one. Close second would be fruity pebbles. Okay. Okay. Maybe I'm pregnant. I love cereal. Uh, no, 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 we're wrong. It is a great <laughs> cereal's good any time, actually. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, yeah, I love cereal. This was um, a hard choice because I just kind of go with uh, variety. But then I got to thinking about it. There's this Nature Valley baked oat bites. It is amazing. <laughs> oh my god, it's amazing. And then when you put it in there. It's these square oat bites in the centers cut out and they're drizzled with uh, like white chocolate. Um, and then when the, you put the milk in, it kind of makes it mushy. It's amazing. But I think they discontinued it. I was so. going to say, well, I'll go look for this stuff, even though that sounds like a ton of calories actually. Well, here's the problem. It was never on sale, right? <laughs> it was like $4 a box. And I, my rule is, unless it's $3 or less, usually I'm looking for like $250. i am not buying it. And so I just buy whatever, um, whatever's on sale, because I'm not picky. But uh, that stuff was amazing. But I haven't seen um, it for a long time. That your, your, your quote of nothing under $4 is a true financial guy's comment right there. <laughs> true financial guy's comment right there. So, all right. Well, that, that rounds it out. So um, see if we can add that uh, question to the repertoire. I'll, I bet you I bet you the, the number one response on that is Cinnamon Toast Crunch. If you ask most people, most people's favorite cereal, Cinnamon Toast Crunch is like top top three for most everybody, actually. So my, my favorite is mixing cereals. Oh, no, now, now I don't want to get into this podcast, but I want to end with this real quick. When it comes to cereal. Do you drink the milk after you eat the cereal? You bet your sweet ass I do. That's part of the Great. best part. 
you're a freak. That's um, that is that. Uh, uh, my wife is a big drinks the milk after the cereal's done. I'm like that is disgusting to me. Well, two things here. I drink almond milk, so I don't drink cow's milk anymore. And two, it's wasteful. I know. I was about to say another financial guy's response here is it's wasteful. You're wasting it. Yeah, correct. (laughs) All right. You're on my wife's side on that one. All right. So what we were here to talk about today um, we had you on the episode before last on buying a home, um, in this hot market. And then we wanted to bring you back on to discuss selling a home. Um, we're moving on up, moving on up is kind of the theme here. Um, it, because we're talking about younger folks. And so it's not, you know, selling the house due to somebody passing away or something like that. It's you're in a stage of your life where you're ready to make the next step up. Hopefully, I'm doing a good job of laying the ground um, here. uh, Not to jump in, but most people move um, because most people have to move because of two things. They um, need more square footage um, or, I mean, don't don't worry. There's always the negative of like, hey, we have to move because we can't afford the house. But that doesn't happen often. But the two two that I hear the most are uh, we need more square footage and then two – to that is, hey, we're at a new income level and we can afford something more. Or they want to move because, hey, the, we've heard the market's good. We can, we know we can sell our house for more. We're now at an income level that we can. I always joke with my clients, I'm like, you're not selling this house until you hit the next income level. Um, and so, yeah, most people move because they want to move up. They want more square footage or they want to spend more. Okay. Or relocating for a job. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, that's a third, like, little, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, Being moved out of Kansas City or moved into Kansas City. So, yeah. Um, okay. So, reasons for selling, uh, you know, outgrowing the house or looking to move up, moving on up. So, I guess I kind of broke this down into four parts of the selling the house process. The pre-sale. And so, what do we need to do? What's the process of getting started before we're ready to put the house on the market? It's kind of what I envisioned is is the part one of the pre-sale. And then um, the second part, which probably kind of bleeds into that, is going to be, do you hire a realtor or do you for sale by owner? FISBO, as they say. Yep. Do you try to sell it yourself um, and save on the commissions? Then the third part is actually putting it on the market um, and what that looks like. What do you need to do? What's your timeline? And then kind of the fourth part is when you're under contract and, and you close on the house. Um, and so, the, you know, feel free to chime in if you think we need a different order here. But that's kind of what I thought we would go with. Um, and so kind of going back to our first part of the pre-sale, you know, we're, we're talking about wanting to sell the house in the not too distant future. How far out should we be starting the process to get the house sold in the timeline that we're looking for? Um, okay, so when I discuss this, I'm going to go into some details, but then some stuff I'm going to leave very, and some people are going to go, oh, that's that's easy. Everyone knows that. But what I've learned from this is you'll have people that move every three to five years. So they're pretty savvy with the real estate process. You'll also have people that, well, when they call me, will say, hey, Tony, 
We've been out of the game for a while. We haven't sold our house. We've been in our house for the last 12 years. We do not know what that looks like to sell a house. So um, I would tell you people are smart to maybe, if they are thinking about selling their house within the next year to two years, having a real estate agent come over, see your house, and talk to you about the process, you can't do it early enough. So I love it when people call me like, hey, Tony, we're thinking about you know, selling in the next two years. Hey, let me come out and talk to you. Look at the house, number one. Tell you what you need to do, what might need to be done. One. Two is talk to you about what the price of your house is. And then also, I'm more of a guy that says, hey, I'm going to set you up on a market update so that they within the next year can watch their subdivision or their market and kind of rather than me being the salesman, like, oh, you should sell your house. The market's great. I'd rather them see that for themselves of like, oh my God, the neighbors down the street sold their house for 12,000 over a list. You know, maybe we should pull the trigger now. But what happens most of the time is I'll meet with people and I'll say, guys, you really need to replace your carpet. And they're like, yeah, we've, we've, this is the original carpet. And then what happens is they replace their carpet the week before we put the house on the market. And I'm the guy that says, why wouldn't you just replace the carpet and enjoy that new carpet for a little bit, unless your kids or your dogs are going to destroy it. But like, I feel bad sometimes when people are like, yeah, we put new carpet. We lived in this house for 12 years with the same carpet. We just put brand new carpet in and we're selling it. Like, yeah, you just paid for someone else to have new carpet when you probably could have replaced it and enjoyed new carpet for a year before you list it. Or I'd rather meet with them a year ahead of time where I'd say, hey, let's make sure we get the exterior of the house painted. Or do these things. I'd rather space it out and give them time to do the stuff rather than, hey, we want to sell our house and we want to sell next month. Don't get me wrong, that happens all the time. But if you're playing with the idea, I think meeting with a realtor a year in advance, six months in advance is a great idea. Just so you kind of know what to expect, number one, what, you, and then you have time to do the stuff to your house rather than rush, rush, rush. Um, and then, um, you kind of get a feel of, okay, my house is worth this right now. And then you can kind of watch and see what the market does. Yeah. I like that. I like that approach of it's never too early to start. And rather than bunching up all these different home fix up projects together, um, having those spread out over a year, year and a half, two years, um, sounds like a good idea um i i i think uh my my concern is kind of like when you go test drive a car you get car fever when you have somebody come over and tell you uh look at your house tell you what you need to do to sell it there'd be the you should sell now sort of and i know you wouldn't do that to someone so nope um, don't go wrong i mean yep that's the the one feeling or i'll have a lot of people that will say they, they, I mean, I, I'm going on um, a listing appointment next Friday, actually, not, um, that when I talked Tim was is a past client of mine, him and his wife have lived in their house for about eight years. And he was like, we're thinking about uh, selling and buying something else. And I was like, okay, well, it's not a good time to buy, but it's a great time to sell. But I want to talk to you about that because I don't know if you guys are prepared to, to handle the buyer market, the, the buy side of it. But I said, I'll come up next Friday. And he's like, okay, sounds good. We'll get to cleaning. And I was like, Tim, no, 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 no. I'm not selling the house when I come there. 
You do not have to sell your house to me. I sold that house to you eight years ago. You do not need to clean anything. I know you have two children. I know that your house probably on a regular basis probably looked like a tornado went through it. That's okay. I have kids. Like it's funny because people will say, I don't know if I want you to come over because I, I don't that they I guess they just don't want me to see like their house in its normal condition. But I'm like, that's okay. I just let me look at it. I just want to make sure that you're you're not missing a wall or you know, something like that. But you'll get some people that are a little hesitant of like, I don't know if we if you come over, that means we really have to do it. I'm like, no, no, no. It's just more of like just it's it's educational. Sometimes it's more of like let me just see where you're at. Let me just tell you what you'd make and da da da, and then you can decide what you want to do. So, but yeah. I get where you're coming from. There is the other flip coin of like, hey, you should sell now. I can put my sign in the yard right now. Blah, blah, blah. So it's a great time. Yeah. Uh, um, so I guess what would you say are kind of those the steps in the process leading up to actually putting your house on the market where it's ready to go? Steps would be preparing the house and a lot of times preparing the house is more of getting maybe some of the deferred maintenance that they haven't done, clean gutters, all that kind of little stuff. Um, people always think that um, we're going to go in and I'm like, oh, you got to repaint every room. You got to, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's not 90% of the time I'm telling people just to declutter, declutter because yeah. people, you know, when you live in a house, you, you tend to not see your clutter because you see it every day. You don't think of it. And so it's more of like, let's make sure we see all the countertops. Let's take all the shampoo bottles out of the shower, all like little things, but it means a lot. Um, also changing the people don't realize that white ceiling fan that you have in your house that has been there since 1982 that you disregard all the time. If you go and just update your ceiling fan in your room, a fixture, a light fixture can change a room by a lot where rather than doing a whole ton of stuff, you can change a light fixture. You can do the little things that are very cost effective um, that can really change the room and not date a room. But I, most of the time I'm saying, guys, everything is good here. We just need to declutter. We need to, and I always use the phrase, you're going to move. So start packing now. Like you're, you're going to be moving out of your house. So why not go buy some totes and some boxes? Let's get some of this stuff out. Let's take the sweaters that are in the back of the closet that have not seen the light of day for two years. Let's fold those up and put those away. It's, I'm, amazed by people are like, well, we don't have a lot of closet space. I'm like, you do. You just need to maybe cycle some of these clothes out of here. Um, and then your closet looks bigger. Um, and so a lot of that is just preparing the house, one. Um, then two, it is more choosing. If if I meet with Kyle and Kyle says, Tony, I want to move in the next, you know, I want to I want to put my house on the market in the next two months. I usually pull out a calendar and say, okay, Kyle, you need to do this, this, and this. And it's going to take you three weeks to do that. And you're going to say, no, 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 it'll take me two weeks. I'm like, no, 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 I do this for a living. It's going to take you three weeks because something's going to happen that's going to postpone you. So let's not stress you out. Let's say you're going to do, you're going to get the house prepared in three weeks. You then schedule photography, professional photographer, not a realtor holding their phone and taking a picture with their phone or their own camera, professional photography, and then you go on the market. Okay. So it's the, the whole going on the market is fairly easy. It's just more the preparing of the house is what takes the longest action. Preparing your house for photo photography is what I like to say. And so getting rid of the clutter, are you recommending boxing stuff up and getting a rental storage unit and go throw stuff in there? Or what, what are you saying for that? Very good question. 
it depends on how much storage space you have and garage space. So I will, because I'll have people all the time say, well, we're going to box this up and we'll go get a storage unit. I'm like, do not get a storage unit. You have a perfectly good storage room down in your basement that's unfinished and you have a garage space. People don't realize that when, when a buyer is looking at a house, they spend no more than one minute in the garage. Now, don't get me wrong. You get the gear heads that want to look in the garage and some of that, but they can usually look and say, oh, it's a two-car garage. I can fit two cars in there and they're out. So I tell people, I'm like, you know what? You park both your cars in your garage for a month. I'm going to need you to use one part of your garage for storage and put it there rather than spending the money on a storage unit. Now, that being said, you run into people that have a crawl space or a slab and they have a one car garage. They don't have the room for it. Then, yeah, it's more um, getting a storage unit. But 99.9% of the time, people have enough space to store. It's just more of like, hey, why don't we get that old Bowflex that's in the storage room that hasn't been used since 2002? Why don't we sell that on Facebook? And then look, you took the Bowflex out of the basement storage room and now you have room for five boxes. Oh, good. I joke about a Bowflex that um, I once wanted to start an Instagram account called Bowflexes of Kansas City because I see one Bowflex every two months in, in a basement and I know for a fact it ain't being used. Um, and I wanted to just start like a Bowflex in the wild, like just take a picture of a Bowflex. But <laughs> I use that just because I see them sometimes. But um, people just realize, I mean, just going through like the spring cleaning is just a good time to just get all your like the big trash pickup days. If you know you're going to be listing your house soon, get some of that junk out of there. Donate some of your stuff um, and declutter. So, yeah. Family photos. So There's a question that comes up all the time. Do I need to take down all my pictures and family photos? Um, there is a, there's two sides of that coin. There are the realtors that say yes, you should, and, and the realtors that say yes, you should take down all family photos um, are the same as what I'm about to say. Is they want you to take down family photos because when you show your house to a buyer, you want a buyer to feel like they can move into your house just the way it is. You know what I mean? Like, oh my God, I can picture myself living here right now with their furniture. Okay. But it's mm -hmm. hard for a buyer to picture themselves living in a house that there's other people's pictures on the walls. Okay. Um, so, but I'm the guy that says, I don't want all family photos taken down because if I'm showing Kyle and his wife, a new house that you're buying up. I want you to see that you, you walk in, you say, Oh my God, there's a nice family that lives here. Look at this nice family that lives here. You know, they enjoyed this house. We can enjoy this house. So I like to see some family pictures. Um, but I don't like to see the houses where the staircase that goes up stairs is littered with like, Hey, here's my son in preschool, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, blah, 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 all that. Uh, that's too much. But I'm not telling you to remove all your family photos, but let's condense um, and leave some of them up. So, what about all the different signs like blessed um, or <laughs> kiss me? Home goodnight. sweet home. Uh, uh, that, or you'll see the ones above the master bed that says kiss me goodnight and all that kind of stuff. Stickums. I like to call those stickums. Stickums. Uh, okay. I want to see stickums come off the walls. Stickums okay. come off the wall. Okay. Um, Truth be told, when you take that blessing, bless this house off the top of the doorway, when you take that off, you're still going to see it because it's been there for so long that, that the wall has somewhat faded. 
So you're yeah. usually going to have to paint after you take a stick them off. So yeah. another big one that people forget, uh, these are two easy ones. One, make sure you take all the magnets and all the invitations and all the save the dates off of your refrigerator. Like, so I go into houses all the time and the refrigerator is, you don't even know it's a stainless steel refrigerator because it's got so much yeah. stuff on it, okay? So taking stuff out the refrigerator and then secondly, this is a big, big one. Make sure all light bulbs work, even the ones in lamps, because when you when most uh, when most photographers take pictures, we turn on all the lights. A house looks well, looks good when all the lights are on. Okay, so make sure all your light bulbs work, and then two, this is one that you'd never think you'd say. Make sure all the light bulbs are the same type of bulb. Mm -hmm. So what'll happen is you'll walk in, and somebody will have a chandelier above their kitchen table. And it is one corkscrew bulb, one yellow bulb, one white bulb. And it's like, I know what happened there. Lazy husband was like, I got to change the light bulb. I got an extra sitting up in the closet and you throw that one in. Nope. Take them all and make sure they're all the same. Also on lighting, uh, energy efficient bulbs. So those are the bulbs that when you turn on the turn on a light and it slowly gets brighter, you want to mm -hmm. get rid of those completely. You want to take those out, put them in a box. You can use them in your next house. I want bulbs that immediately are bright. The reason I say that is if it's um, daylight savings time or whatever, let's just say it's six o'clock at night and it's dark outside. Most real, or I would tell my sellers, hey, when you leave, turn on all your lights, your lamps, all yep. lights should be on when you leave for a showing. But some people don't do that. Well, what happens is a buyer walks into a room and turns it on. An energy efficient light is kind of dim. And you lose a buyer like that because the buyer will go, oh, it's dark in here. With I mean, and then you Too get small. me that says, yep, yep. And and you all you all say, well, no, no, guys, that's an energy efficient bulb. It'll eventually get brighter, but you've already lost a buyer. So yeah, you want when a light comes on, you want that room to be as bright as possible. So light bulbs and lighting go a long ways, actually. So, and I've heard uh, Dave talks about on the stove. Turn the stove on, put some vanilla on there, make the scent, the aroma. I, I oh, don't know, don't but, whatever. I, well, no. bake, uh, bake cookies. That's why yeah, you always cookies, have yeah. somebody bake cookies before the open house. Um, and it's, I mean, don't go wrong. There's that buyer out there like, oh, look at that, they got cookies. Um, so, yes, that's good. Um, you never want, when it comes to scents, you never want to like, plug in you know febreze the whole damn house because then you walk in and someone's like man i get so many different smells here they got so many plugins what are they hiding they must be there they must have a cat or they must have a dog they must be hiding something so you don't want to do too too many smells a nice candle is good you don't want to have it lit the entire time but another a little tip is make sure your front entryway your so your front stoop where your front door is mm -hmm. make sure that's nice and clean um, cobwebs love to just be in those corners. Um, the reason I say that is when a realtor is showing a house, we have to open the lockbox to open the lockbox to get our phone out and open the lockbox and then open the key. That takes 15 to 20 seconds. Well, while we're messing around with the lockbox, the buyer is looking at your front door and is looking at your entryway. So let's get all those cobwebs out of there. Let's put a fresh coat of paint on your front door so it's not all chipped up. Let's make sure that that front stoop um, doesn't have any wood rot on it, you know, because that is their first impression is right there. And if you they walk up and like, oh, my God, look at all the cobwebs. Look how dirty it is. They're, they already have a bad impression of your house. So um, 
it's it's I mean selling a house I know this sounds stupid but selling a house is just like selling a car everyone when they sell their car goes and washes it really good cleans the inside you know armor all the tires and stuff like that because uh, you want first appearance to, to be really really good yeah uh kind of along those lines power wash uh power washers are amazing i borrowed my father-in-law's to do the gutters we had some kind of like mossy build up building up on our gutters um and when you got a white house it's it sticks out so i use that to spray those off and then i Got the idea. What else can I do? And, yeah. Uh, hit the concrete and it, you know, kicked all the gunk off the concrete right in front of our uh, front door and um, hit the cobwebs like you were talking about. I mean, power washer is amazing. <laughs> yep. Correct. Correct. And you can get an electric one from Home Depot for very inexpensive, actually. Um, That's what it is. But it's, it yeah, is. it's, um, it's a, it's just more of a, cleaning like I mean, yeah. dusting the tops of the the ceiling fans and, and stuff like that is i mean cleaning windows is actually a really really good idea because if it's nice and bright you don't want dirty windows when people walk in so a lot of it i mean a lot of preparing a house isn't about oh i'm gonna have to repaint everything i'm gonna have to do this no it's mostly about decluttering deep cleaning making sure that it looks nice okay so, so this kind of gets into stage or not to stage the house. So what are, when do you stage a house versus not? And, um, how does that work with, I, I, I guess, how does that work as far as keeping the, the staging in there? Is it for a, just a, you know, one time open house or do you keep it in there and how do you live? There are, there's three types of staging when it comes to staging a house. There is staging somebody's house with their furniture meaning that hey your wife and you have a sectional in your living room and you've had it pushed up against a wall for the last three years let's not have it on that wall because it's it doesn't give good functionality to the room so a lot of times i would say majority of the time i'm going into a house and just saying hey guys your house doesn't need to be staged we just need to move some of your furniture around we need to move the bed that is up against this wall to this wall. We need to move that desk. So I'm moving stuff a lot for people saying, hey, let's move it this way. Let's take all that stuff off that counter, off that shelf. Let's reduce the amount of Harry Potter books we have in our office and all that, okay? So that's op option one is you're staging a house with people's stuff. You're just moving their stuff, okay? Making it look mm -hmm. better. Two is hiring a stager to actually take and bringing in a stager's own couch. Like, hey, that leather couch that you've had since college needs to go. And we're going to have somebody else bring a couch in and a couple knickknacks and all that kind of stuff. Okay. That you are, when, when you pay for that, that is a stager coming in who has that stuff. They pick the stuff out and then you are kind of renting that stuff actually. Um, it's usually a, a flat fee of like, okay, you can have this stuff for this long. And then once you're under contract, they come and get that stuff. I don't normally do that that much. Okay. okay. Um, and then option three is virtual staging, which I'll talk about in just a second. So um, mm -hmm. the time where, where staging came into popularity was on vacant houses. So House is vacant and people are like, I can't envision what this living room looks like with furniture because there's nothing in here. So that's when staging got popular was on vacant houses. Like people would say, well, we need to put furniture in here and that's where stagers came. Well, now technology is great. 
where photographers can actually virtually stage a vacant house. Um, so now, because sometimes I don't like staging a, ha- a vacant house because when you add furniture to a room, it sometimes can shrink up a room. I'd rather, I don't get me wrong, I don't like photographing vacant houses. I'd rather, it, like if I say, if I have people, I've got some people that live up north right now that are moving to Pennsylvania that I had said, well, let me photograph it with your stuff in it, but we're not listing it until they move out. So I photographed it occupied, but when we go on the market, it'll be totally vacant. Um, but I'm good. As long as I photographed it occupied, that's where most people shop online and then mm-hmm. they go see it in person. But if I have a vacant house now, I, I'll, 100% of the time, if it's a vacant house, I will pay for virtual staging and it looks awesome. I mean, that is, it doesn't look fake. It doesn't look like, oh my God, that looks like a little box. It looks real. And what huh. I'll do is, I, I then photograph it. So we photograph it vacant and then you'll see a picture of the living room vacant and then you'll see another picture of the living room with furniture in it. So it kind of gives people the feel of what it could look like if you had furniture. So it's awesome. way cheaper than staging. I'm never, I don't ever want to say bad, anything bad about a stager, but staging, having someone bring their furniture in can be very expensive. That's what I was going to say. What's that cost look like? And my, my biggest concern is my kids and my dogs <laughs> destroying other people's stuff. Stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So most people, I mean, like even on your house, I would never tell you to actually, just because of that fact of, hey, I got kids and a dog, I wouldn't want to use somebody else's furniture. We're just more of like, hey guys, let's can, let's let's minimize the amount of furniture we have in the living room. Let's take that old chair that Kyle's been sitting in for the last 10 years Let's move that down to the basement. We don't need that there, but I, it's a lot of furniture moving. A lot of furniture moving. It's like you've secretly been in my house without me knowing about it. My <laughs> old chair. No, I, I, no, no. It's just more of knowing. Uh, it's creature of habit. I, I, when you when you see it once, you see it in a lot of houses. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, so real quick, uh, time of the year we should sell the house. Um, this all depends on where you're, where, where you live. Um, and a lot of this is out the window now because of the seller's market that we're in, but in a normal scenario, um, you, the, the, the peak months in Kansas city are usually anytime after spring break. So you always want to try to sell when school is out because if people are moving, they want to move, um, outside of the school year. They want to move when their kids are out of school because they can switch schools. So that's always a good rule of thumb is your the the peak season is usually right after spring break. So end of March, April, May, June, July. There you go. That's okay. what one you do. Yeah. But the last four years has been a seller's market in Kansas City and it's going to be a seller's market for a while. It can be you can list whenever you want um, because inventory is low and so it doesn't really doesn't really matter. Now, that being the case, um, usually the buyer market, the amount of buyers looking is pretty low in November, December, and January because it's a holiday month. People don't want to spend money around the holidays, nor do people want to move during Christmas. So those are usually slow months, but I will tell you, we've had some very big Decembers, but it's usually they're closing before Christmas, Okay. Um, so I, somebody could say, well, do I list my house? I, I do not like to list houses in November and December. Even if somebody said to me, Hey, Tony, we want to sell. I'm like, Hey, let's hold off and list, you know, beginning of January. Let's wait until Christmas is over and new year's is over and then list then. 
Um, I also usually do not like to list it when it's snowy and cold. And so yeah. I, I like to see leaves on trees. You know, neighborhoods look so much better when the grass is green and there's leaves on trees rather than no leaves and it looks kind of gloomy. Um, yep. But with with the market that it is right now, it is more of, hey, as, as soon as you want to get it on the market, let's get it on the market. But I also will tell you, we will photograph. If I know someone wants to list in October or actually in November, I usually want to photograph in the summer knowing that I'm going to list the house. But fall pictures look great too. But yeah. um, then, you run into, then you run into the problem of if you list in – if you want to list your house in November, if I photograph it, you have Halloween decorations everywhere. I don't want that. So then it's like, Hey, hold off on the Halloween decorations and we'll photograph and then you can put them back up. So. Yeah. It is not pretty here in the winter with no leaves gone and everything is so depressing. Um, so kind of getting into before we put on the market, what are things we should fix and update or leave as is? I know we talked about this before. Um, pre-show that given the market we're in, there's not much you have to do, but I guess maybe talk about right now, what are things you need to do for sure or not? And then kind of in a normal market, what are things that you're going to want to do, um, replace, update that are going to get you a return on the investment rather than putting the money into it and only recouping half of that cost? You know what I mean? Yep. Um, t t rooms to look at that you get the best bang for your buck is going to be your kitchen, your master bathroom, and um, any of your like your main living rooms, but kitchen and master bath. So if you have an old, excuse me, gold fixture in your master bath, let's try to change that out so it makes the bathroom look a little bit nicer. Um, but when it comes to getting the house ready, you want to do any kind of the deferred maintenance items. So because that house is going to be inspected. Now, in this market that we're in as we speak right now, most people are accepting houses as is. Um, so people are not having to fix anything on their house after it gets inspected. But I would tell people, hey, listen, this is gonna come up on an inspection. Let's fix this right now because um, that outlet that does not work or that leaky sink is $50 to fix. But to a buyer that has the house inspected and the inspector says, well, the sink is leaking to a buyer. They're like, oh, my God, that's three hundred dollars. Like it, it scares buyers. You know, you know what I mean? Where a fifty dollar fix to you, I'd rather you get that done than scare a buyer away thinking that it's more than what it really is. OK, um, so yeah. more deferred maintenance things. Um And a lot of it is just a case by case basis. I mean, if you have old laminate countertops sometimes you know putting granite or some rock um, countertop in can really freshen a kitchen up and make it look nicer um, but then on the catch side of it is you want to make sure that you have someone giving you advice that's like hey use this granite that is very uniform that everyone likes rather than hey i'm going to put a black granite in and that's not you know you're going to put granite in then you're going to have some people say well I, I don't like that i don't like that yeah so or you put in an allowance. You just say, hey, you know, you go to a granite company and you say, hey, what would it cost to put granite in my kitchen? And they say, well, it'll be four grand. And they'll, but they'll give you samples. They'll give you five samples. And so you could say, hey, buyer, with an acceptable offer, we will replace the granite with your choice of these five. Uh, we'll replace the countertops with whatever you choose. Um, that's another good way of doing it. But, um, okay. 
just like carpet back in the day used to be, even though carpet's a little bit different because carpet, if it's bad, smells one. So you can make a house smell better if you replace the carpet. And then carpet sometimes, I mean, it's just more of that look. It's on the floor. That's all you see. Um, a lot of people can look past a countertop. A lot of people, a lot of people can't look past um, old carpet. So, um, but in this market that we're in, in the market we're going to be in for the next couple of years, buyers really just, or sellers just need to make sure their house looks nice, shows well, and there you go. So yeah. So I I got a quick story for you. So when we bought our house, <clears throat> speaking of kitchens, the countertops were laminate. However, the woman that lived here before us took a bucket of white paint because they were like this seafoam green. Yeah. But when we saw the house, they were white because she took this bucket of white paint and painted the countertops. And so we, our, our small appliances, our toaster oven and everything, after we put them down and they'd move for a while, it'd chip up paint. Then we've got our our two dogs who um, are built like Bassett's. <clears throat> they they are uh, counter surfers as they call them, and so they'd get up there and they'd claw the edges of them and chip off the paint. And so we ended up replacing the uh, countertops with uh, quartz, which looks awesome. Which is well, quartz is actually more expensive than granite usually. Um, and truth, this is trivia for people. Granite is a true rock. So granite, you, the design is never uniform. It's, it, if you one slab of granite is totally different than the other slab of granite. Quartz, on the other hand, is man-made, and so it'll be uniform. Like if you don't want, if you if you pick a uh, quartz countertop, I can pick that exact same quartz countertop, and the design looks the exact same because it's man-made. So people ask me that all the time. What's the difference between quartz and granite? Or then you got corian, then you got marble, and blah blah blah. But Quartz and granite are the two popular ones right now. But uh, and 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 granite is porous, right? Yeah. Whereas the, the quartz is sealed, so it won't. That was my big thing, so it wouldn't stain or anything like that. Yeah, granite. Um, one thing people don't realize on granite, you still need to seal that every probably three to four years, and it's easy. It's just a spray you get at Home Depot. You spray it on, you wipe it over, um, and the way you can tell if it needs it is you can pour water on it. And if water I don't know that actually, the, the but the, there's something with water where it like spreads maybe um, okay. if you pour it on the countertop. But yeah, sealing granite is a very good idea actually. Yeah. But, you know, when we were looking for the house, our realtor never pointed that out to us. It was like, hey, these countertops, she never made a big deal about it. Um, if she did point it out and we were, you know, clueless at the time. And so, yeah. Um, but uh, it's uh Another reason to find a good uh, realtor that knows a lot about houses. Yes, correct. So, um, so uh, asking for a friend. So, if you had to choose between an HVAC system and refinishing the wood floors, which one would you do? Refinishing the wood floors, uh, and the reason for that is HVAC system. You can usually get a um, home warranty that will protect the buyer for that HVAC system to go out. So if it goes out, they can get a new system. And uh, don't get me wrong, there'll be people listening to this and like, oh, well, home warranty companies are a fraud. All depends on the home warranty company. But um, I also know most buyers would rather have the refinished hardwood floors than they would the HVAC system. Buyers, for some reason, do not care about the age of the HVAC system, (laughs) unless it is like, 
hey, 30 year old air conditioner. I'm like, well, that's like one day from going out. But yeah, if it's the other thing, what people realize about HVAC is if you have your HVAC serviced normally, like, hey, every year I have somebody come and clean my furnace and clean my air conditioner, that can prolong the HVAC system very, 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 very much. It's almost like putting oil in a car. Like you change your oil, the oil in your car so the car lasts longer, just like that. But I run into I run into sellers all the time. Like, guys, when was the last time your furnace was clean? Like, I, this is over exaggeration, but they kind of look at me and go, "We needed to do that." And I'm like, "You guys lived here for eight years, and their furnace has never been cleaned." And then it's almost like, God, I don't even want to know what your furnace filter looks like, you know? So, um, but no, that is a ask as a friend. Refinish your hardwood floors rather than your HVAC system. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so let's let's dive into part two then. Um, when you're deciding to put it on the market, do you try to do it yourself, FISBO as they would call it, for sale by owner, um, or hire a realtor? And so I think kind of the appeal of trying to sell it yourself is saving on the commission. But uh, um, at that point, you're still responsible for doing the showing. I mean, you Maybe you can talk about this, the challenges of doing for sale by owner and why maybe it's more beneficial to do um, hire a realtor to do it for you. So most people listen to this podcast are going to go, well, he's a realtor. So he's just going to yep. slam for sale by owners. Um, this is when I, as your friend, will just take my realtor hat off and just talk as normal, the normal man, um, for sale by owner. If you do that, you are saving percentage because when you sell a house, just so if you are listening, and when you buy a house, you do not pay real estate commissions when you buy a house. You're, when you're when a buyer agent represents you, they are actually being paid a commission by the seller. So when you sell your house, your fees are a title fee and real estate commission. On average, a real estate commission in Kansas City is anywhere between six and seven percent. Okay. And that the six percent, that's usually what you'll see is split three to the selling agent that represents the seller. That's the one that their pretty faces in the yard, their signs in the yard, the listing agent, and three percent goes to the buyer's agent. Okay. So if you for sell by owner, the the thought is if you for sell by owner, you don't have to pay percentages of at all. Okay. But what most for sell by owners don't realize is uh, I mean, the majority of buyers out there have some sort of real estate representation. So I tell people, listen, if you're going to FISBO, this is where I'm just the normal man. If you're going to be a for sale by owner, just know there's a very good chance you're going to pay at least a 3% commission because mm -hmm. you're going to have a bunch of buyer's agents that have buyers that want to show that house. But when they find out they're not going to get paid for it, they're probably not going to show the house. So your market to sell your house is very, very small when you say, well, but don't get me wrong, if you look on Zillow and some of that, you'll see that, that most for sale by owners will put buyer's agents welcome. That means they're willing to pay a buyer agent commission. And actually for a sale, for sale by owner, if you think about it, if you had a buyer's agent that showed your house and has a buyer for it, that buyer's agent is going to do all the paperwork for you. It makes the, it makes the job of the for sale by owner so much easier because that agent is going to do is going to help the process along. Okay. Um, I would also tell them the odds of a for sale by owner selling to an, a buyer that's unrepresented is very slim. So where they would save the full 6%, um, is very, very rare. And you then have, unless that seller knows what they're doing in the real estate process or the buyer knows what they're doing, you've got 
two people, a seller and a buyer that aren't represented by a real estate agent at all that have no freaking clue what's going on. I mean, they don't know the, the process. They don't even know, hey, where do we get the contracts at? Some of that. So, um, but my only, uh, for sale by owners, the only thing I always tell them is, you know, with this day and age on uh, marketing, most people shop online for a house, okay? So they look at houses online, they pick out the ones they want, and then they go look at them. Well, when you list with a realtor, when it goes in MLS, Heartland MLS, multiple listing service, when mm -hmm. a realtor puts that house on MLS, MLS distributes that listing to all real estate websites. So Remax.com, Realtor.com, KellerWilliams.com, Zillow, truly all of them. Okay. When you do for sale by owner, you're restricted to the amount of websites you're on. You're going to pay Zillow some money to actually list your house on there and they might distribute to another one. So you don't get a lot of appeal. You don't get a lot of traction online. Where I sometimes tell people where for sale banner might work is where if there's a lot of houses for sale in your neighborhood, you could do a for sale banner for a couple months because you'll pick up that that traffic. I mean, when someone, hey, I saw this house on MLS, let's go look at it with their realtor, and they're driving through and like, oh, there's a for sale by owner, and then th they they make that phone call. But the 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 only negative of for sale by owner is maybe not knowing what you're doing. One, and then two is you're not reaching the masses of the market. We'll say that. Aren't there some online? Um companies that have popped up to uh to assist with doing for sale by owner yeah they're you so what's funny about that is there used to be a handful of companies that would say hey listen for you know six hundred dollars they would be companies that are licensed with kansas association, kansas association of realtors and they would have access to mls so they would put your house on mls for you which yeah. would be i mean that's that's helping you out but then what happens is they say, okay, I, you pay me $600. You have to provide the photographs. You have to provide the remarks. You have to do everything. We'll put you in MLS, but that is it. Like then showings have to go through the owner and some of that. That was really popular actually three to four years ago. And now yeah. that has just like gone to the wayside. I mean, I used to see it all the time. It used to be, um, I can't even think of the company anymore, but it used to be like, Kyle, you would list with this company and it was called like, Listing giant, I'll use this, listinggiant.com, okay? They put you in MLS, and when I'd see it in MLS, it would say, call owner Kyle, and then I would literally call Kyle to schedule a showing. Um, but I think what happens on that is what, what people don't realize is the showings itself can get crazy. Uh, I mean, you could be getting phone calls after phone calls after phone call, and then as a for sale by owner, if I call Kyle, hi, Kyle, this is Tony Long with Keller Williams. I want to show your house on Monday at two o'clock and you're like, all right, sounds good. And then you get another call. You're organizing all those. And then yeah. Tony Long comes to show it. And then you have to like deep dive to try to get me to give you feedback and all that kind of stuff. Or then it's kind of weird when the seller is at a home when we show up because the seller wants to try to sell his house. And you're kind of like, Hey man, stand over there. Like my buyers don't want to talk to you. <laughs> we just want to look at the house. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But I mean, if you know what you're doing, it, it really isn't that bad. You can go get a lockbox at Home Depot and, and be good. When you list with a realtor, all of that stuff is taken care of. It's more the the showings are you know controlled through a showing service, um, and you, the seller, are not 
the point of contact your agent is and, and that. So, but don't get me wrong, I'm not going to be someone that says, oh, you should never do for sale blender. The only thing I worry about a for sale blender is I don't think um, they are appealing to the masses, one. Um, and then two, most for sale blenders are drastically overpriced. Um, because all they do, they don't, all they know is their house. They've never been yep. in other houses. So they'll see that Tom and Jane's house down the street sold for 365, not knowing that Tom and Jane's house is literally 800 square feet more than theirs and it's been updated. And this guy's like, well, if they sold it for 365, I'll sell mine for 365. Um, and it's not worth 365. Yeah. So, um, that's the, that's the part of my job that I hate is when I love calling for sale binders because, I know how the phone call is going to go. Hi, for sale owner. This is our hi, Kyle. This is Tony Long with Keller Williams. Saw your home on Zillow. I've got some people that really like that neighborhood. Could we come and look at it? The, the one of the number one responses. Yep, but I'm not going to pay six percent commission. I'm like, whoa, 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 pump your brakes, man. I'm not looking for six percent commission. Um, and I actually, I don't really want to talk about commission. I just want to show your house, and if they like it, then we can go from there. Um, but they are always just so like. They hate realtors. And don't get me wrong. If you were to take that person um, and look at their history, they probably, probably had a really bad experience with a realtor. And that's why yeah. they hate realtors. Um, but most of the time, I mean, it's you'll get people say, oh, my God, I'd love to work with a buyer's agent. Uh, we put a combo box on the front door. You know, please show it and go from there. So, yeah. Um, when you when you when you do for sale by owner, FISBO. It's an emotional thing when you're selling your own house. Whereas when you hand that duty off to someone else, it's just like a financial advisor who is managing your life savings. Um, you're removing the emotion from the deal, if you will. Um, and so that's one of the big things I hear is that um, you get hung up on, well, I know my house is worth this much because of this. And it's people don't know, don't care. Um, and, uh, and then also I've seen, um, I know Dave talks about this and I looked at statistics. I've got a, I'll, I'll put that, sh uh, uh, website, national realtor or something or other website that I was, um, seeing, but the average sale price, you get an high, a higher average sale price with a realtor, um, than you do FISBO. Well, I mean, and a lot of that has to do that stat is has to do with the, uh, the buyer market. You're you're going to uh, you're going to get more buyers to your house with a realtor than you are for sale banner. Yeah, creating more competition. And I think in in Dave's Financial Peace University, he says, you know, that the average realtor is going to get you eleven percent more on. Uh, you're you're going to get eleven percent more by utilizing a realtor compared to Fisbo. Um, just statistics, you know, for whatever that is. Um, and you compare that to saving, you know, six at most on a commission or most likely three. Um, yeah, it's, it's a full-time job. I mean, you do this as a full-time job and trying to list your house is, is, uh, um, it's, it's a big undertaking. And so, uh, and don't get me wrong. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people that probably look at it right now and say, well, um, it is listing a house that's you'll, if you talk to any, um, newer agent, a newer agent that, or actually these brokerages, I'm going to talk out loud here. Most brokerages push like, Hey, you should be listing. You should be listing houses, listing houses, listing houses, because listing a house 
is not as much work as showing buyers. So if I'm a buyer's agent, if I'm showing buyers, I am out in the evenings, I'm out on the weekends, I'm driving around, I'm spinning, I'm especially in this market, I'm writing multiple offers and losing multiple offers and blah, blah, blah. It's a lot of work. Listing agents, the public sometimes sees it as, hey, Tony puts a sign in the yard and puts us on MLS and makes our house look pretty and then lo and behold, we sell our house. Yep, but there's a lot of stuff. Once you go under contract, there's a lot of stuff that we have to do to wrangle to keep the deal together. But don't get me wrong, in this market, it's fairly easy to list a house because I, if you can list it correctly, you get multiple offers and my phone blows up for a weekend and I have to manage a ton of people that are writing offers. But then after that, it's good. I mean, listing houses is probably the way to go. But, and what's funny is you'll have rookies that will say, well, I, I need to get listings. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is, I don't want to go off in the tangent, but most rookies need to realize that they don't need to be listing houses. They need to be helping buyers buy houses because they can create relationships and, and go from there. But they're always like, oh, I got to get listings. I got to get listings. Like, oh, it's going to be hard for you to get listings because your friends down the road already have a realtor that they'll call to list their house. But that being said, I always tell rookies, I'm like, in a not seller's market, it's not fun to be a listing agent because then I have to sit down with Kyle at his kitchen table and say, hey, Kyle, your house is going to be on the market for 45 days. And I don't know if I discussed this with you last time, but when I go to a listing appointment, I draw a graph, all right? And I say, like, this is my graph. And I say, this is my love graph. And I'm like, this side right here is how much you love me. So, and then this part is days on market, okay? So I say, you're at zero days on market and you love me right now. You think I'm the greatest thing ever, okay? But Starting as days on market go you start to hate me. And so I used to joke all the time, my job is to sell your house before you hate me. Because 30 days on the market, 40 days on the market, which was normal, you know, that's a normal market. Um, after showing your house every Tuesday night, and Wednesday night, and you coming and going, it's kind of old and getting feedback that ah, it just wasn't the right one. And then it's more of like, Tony, what are you doing to sell our house? Yeah. Um, that's when a true realtor comes out where, hey, this is what I'm going to do to sell your house in a timely manner and that. In this market that we're in right now, you the house has got to look right, priced right, and it will sell in three days with multiple offers. So um, that, right now is a time where you have more people say, well, why would I hire a realtor? I can just put, stick a for sale by owner sign in my yard and 10 people will call me. By all means, yeah, that would probably happen. But you might not get as much money. You might not get as much money. Yeah. But does it make sense to talk about days on market? How long is, because I mean, it sounds like right now, if it goes a week, you're too long. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't worry wrong. In this market, days on market, if I, if I see something that's been on the market for over seven days, I know that's going to sound so stupid, over seven days, either I say they're overpriced or they are, there's something really wrong with the house. They've got okay. some cracks in the basement. It's got a steep driveway, something like that. But right now in this market where, I mean, if you talk to anybody, everybody's getting over list price, you don't price it, you don't overprice yourself because if you overprice yourself, you're in trouble. You, excuse me, you price it, you price your house to, I wouldn't say cause an auction mentality. So I'm not underpricing houses at all, but I'm not overpricing them like, oh, Jane and them, Tom and Jane sold their house for 365. Well, you don't have this, this, and this that they had. So let's list your house for 
340 knowing that I'm probably going to get multiple offers and sell for 355 rather than shooting because if you overprice it and you go on that market that first weekend and you don't sell trouble trouble yeah. um then the other the new tactic right now is like I always have always listed on Thursdays and Fridays so you go all day Thursday all day Friday all day Saturday okay um the old saying was oh my my realtor sold my house in a day well in this market that we're in where their buyer demand is so high selling your house in a day is not quite smart because there were a lot of people that didn't get in your house because they didn't have time to where i always tell a seller you need to make sure that you're on the market for at least 48 hours okay that you're getting enough people of the market into your house and enough offers in rather than listing your house on a thursday and accepting an offer thursday night that's not a smart move even though the realtor will love it because they sold your house in a day. But a, a, one of the new moves is to actually list a house on a Tuesday. Um, because most, if you look at most realtors and talk to them, they'll say, well, we list on Thursdays and Fridays because that's, you're having relocation buyers drive in, or, you know, fly in to look at houses and stuff like that. And that's the best time to look at it. But now the new thing is, well, why not list it on Tuesday when all these buyers are literally just waiting around for Thursday and Friday to hit and all these houses hit on Thursday and Friday, why not list my house on Tuesday when not that many houses are listed? Great idea. Great idea. And I, I like the idea um, because then also Kyle and his wife looked at houses on Saturday. They wrote an offer, lost, lost another house on Sunday, and they're just discouraged. And then next you know, this house comes on the market on Tuesday, and you're like, it's, it's the rebound house. You're like, oh, my God, <laughs> look at this, you know? Um, <clears throat> it's a great idea, but this is where, and um, I look at it when I list someone's home, I try to make it as stress-free and as easy as possible. And if I went to Kyle and said, Kyle, I want to put your house, you, you right now with your two kids and your dog, Kyle, I want to put your house on the market on Tuesday. And you're going to go, Awesome, man, but we're in the H-E double hockey sticks. Am I going to go on a Tuesday? I still got to work. My wife still got to work, blah, 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 blah. And it's, I mean, if I went to, if I wanted to list my house, me knowing the amount of kids I have and the, I would never want to list my house on a Tuesday because I have no place to go. If I list your house on a Friday, you can take Friday off and you and your wife can go to a hotel or go visit family over the weekend rather than in the middle of the week. But sometimes listing your house in the middle of the week rather than the busy weekends is better. So. Okay. Okay. Plan while we're on vacation, maybe. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I ask that, especially right now during the market, because there, there'll be times that you could have 11 showings in one day. That If you have 11 showings in one day, you're leaving your house at 9 a.m. and you ain't coming back until 8.30 yeah. p.m., so I'll tell people like, hey, you guys planning a trip any times? And yeah, we're thinking about going to the Ozarks in two weeks. You know what? Let's list your house when you go to the Ozarks. Yes. Then you don't have to, then you have to deal with it at all. Zero. So. Have, uh, speaking of the Ozarks, have you ever seen, uh, have you ever been to Big Cedar? Uh, I have not. Um, Good place. Uh, yeah. Check it out. I wanted to go there for uh, Baby Moon once, um, but I now that the kids are getting older, I definitely can tell you we'll be going there soon for sure. We got the COVID special last year, uh, around this time we went May, May 15th and we're looking at, uh, the price now and it's like double what it was then. I'm like, Holy oh God. Yeah. Now, cause everyone's, everyone's moving and moving, shaking now. Yeah. Um, yeah. but what I, I, I would also say to that is, um, 
when a seller lists their house, when it goes on the market with a realtor, most of the time we have an I box, a, a lock box that goes mm -hmm. on the front, and then their house goes on the market in MLS, which then gets distributed to all other websites. So a lot of people will say, well, I look at houses on Zillow. Zillow is getting their information from Heartland MLS. So the Heartland MLS is the main source of listing data. And then Zillow and Truly and all those guys pay to actually get feeds to it. But And that'll update? Yep, simultaneously. I, I think Zillow still has the pictures from when our, our house was for sale back in 2012. So, but when you put it on, it'll update with the new pictures and everything. Yep, new, new, your old photos yeah. will go and um, new photos pop up. Um, and then also Zillow, not to get off on a tangent on Zillow, but Zillow also um, sometimes doesn't, they will list houses as active that are actually under contract. And that's more of a tactic for them to say, hey, we have the most active listings on the market when they really don't. Like I'll have people that I'll set up a search for them and they'll say, Tony, I love my search, but here's three houses I found on Zillow that aren't on your search. And I'm like, well, those houses have been under contract for two weeks. It's just, you don't know that. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, but when you list, it will go in MLS and then it gets distributed to all the, all the websites. So, okay. um, and then from that, then you will start getting phone calls from a showing company or text messages that says, Hey, your house wants to be shown between two and three. And you got to be out during that one hour increment or 15 minute increment or, or whatever. So um, then, the, then the fun begins. Then you got to turn on all your lights, make sure the house stays clean and get out. Yeah, yeah. This uh, selling in a, in a day sounds good to me because the thought of having to clean after our dogs every time, because it's, it's, I told you, it's an ongoing battle with dog hair. Oh, don't, if, if, it was, if it was me, I would be telling you, Kyle, you and your family are going to Gray Wolf Lodge or you're going to go visit family in Wichita. You're going to leave on Friday. I'm going to list your house on, it's going to go live on Friday. We're going to go all day Friday, all day Saturday. And on Saturday, this is really how it works. On Saturday, I call you and say, here's what I have. Do we want to set a deadline of Saturday at 8 PM that all offers have to be in by then? Or do you want to go through Sunday by Saturday, all the showings and the amount of offers you have, you usually want to cut it off on Saturday or you go all day, all through all day Sunday. So, so so going back to your Tuesday, putting it on Tuesday, would I know you said 48 hours is what you want to ideally have, but would you, with that kind of um, idea in mind of putting it on a Tuesday, would you extend out to Saturday and see how many offers you can get in then, or you think you'll lose some offers, or what? Yeah, what is you'll it? lose some offers. You'll go. You if you do Tuesday, you go all day Tuesday, all day Wednesday. The reason that you don't go so many other days is because Kyle Buyer comes and looks at your house on Tuesday, writes you a very aggressive offer, but you're like, yeah, man, we're gonna take this all the way out till Saturday. Sounds good. Sounds like a good idea. But you're going to make Kyle mad. Kyle's going to go, well, screw you. Or, or another house could come up that Kyle's like, yeah, uh, your house isn't that great anymore. I retract my offer. I'm going to this house. So okay. you don't want to, I mean, the, the comment, the rule is more two to three days. That's about okay. It. Okay. So maybe Tuesday to Thursday. Yeah. 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 Before yeah. all those houses that typically yeah, go on. Correct. Go on. Okay. Yep. Um, so should we talk about uh, marketing plan for the house? I mean, so, things that the realtor is going to do for you as far as photos of the home, tell you what to do, videos, virtual tours, those sorts of things. 
so virtual tours were very popular during COVID because there was a lot of people that did not want to go into a house. They would rather just watch it from it. So virtual tour, or there's a, uh, there's a new, new kind of, it's not really new, but Matterport viewing. Matterport is where you'd actually see the house um, floor plan. And then there, the Matterport camera literally zooms all the way around a room. And then you, the buyer online can actually click a circle and walk around a room. Like, not like talking around the old virtual tours were like a fishbowl, like, you know what I mean? Like just back and forth Matterport. Now you can truly virtually walk through a house um, and look on people's, you know, I mean, it's so detailed that you can look on people's shelves and see their books on their shelves and some of that. So very, very cool. But um, the, the marketing of a home, uh, the, the most important thing is pictures. Pictures, pictures, pictures. I mean, uh, what is the most important thing on Match.com probably? Pictures. You know what I mean? Like, so, I mean, when somebody's shopping for a mate, they are looking at pictures. So we want to make sure that that house looks like the shiniest penny online. I love, love getting feedback that says house looked better online than it did in person. That means I did my job, meaning that I need this house to look, I mean, I'll have sellers go, Tony, if our house really looked like what these pictures look like, we wouldn't be selling our house. I'm like, that's great because I need to sell your house online. My job is to get as many butts through that front door as possible. So I make sure that when we photograph that house, that I make sure it looks the best it can in those photographs. So that when people are shopping online, that that's, I mean, you're catching them. If somebody, if the front, the third, first photo of the house does not look good, their one's going to look at the other picture. So they're going to just pass your listing by. Um, so would you, would you say the exterior photo, the curb appeal is the most important picture? Um, I mean, they're all important, but yeah. Making um, a good yes. first impression. Yep. Don't get me wrong. You'll if you ever see a house that, and I, I know they're out there. If you ever looking on Zillow and you see a house that the first photos of the living room, that usually means the front of the house is ugly or it's a pink house or something's crazy on the outside. Always, always, always. Um, but photography is very important. Um, pricing the house. So I would that your 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 keys are your pictures, your pricing of the house. And your strategy of like, okay, what's our strategy going to be here? Then when you're on, when you go online, your realtor is there to actually help you funnel through the amount of showings, the feedback, like, hey, this person said this, and like, I want to get all feedback in a normal market. I want to get feedback for every showing, so I know what we need to do to get the house sold. If something comes up, didn't like the pink room, and the, the that feedback comes up. Five times, all right, Kyle, we need to paint that pink room. But if, um, you know, if it says, oh, we just didn't like the backyard, that's something Kyle can't fix. Kyle can't fix the backyard. But if backyard keeps coming up, well, that means we need to maybe adjust our price so that people look past the backyard. So um, the marketing plan was extremely important when a marketing plan is extremely important when you're on the market for 30 to 60 days if your days on market it's going to be a while um right now and knowing that the house is going to be on the market for three days with multiple offers it comes down to pictures 
and trying to get as many people in that door and pricing strategy. Okay. Um, I guess real quick on, on pricing correctly, um, basically looking at comps, right. And not overpricing or underpricing, I guess what real quick, kind of what your thoughts are on that, on, on getting the Goldilocks price just right. When looking at comps, there's easy ways and hard ways. Easy way is, hey, I live in XYZ subdivision. There's 300 houses in here, so I can search by XYZ subdivision within the last 180 days. Some people would say, hey, let's look back a year. There was a house that sold last, you know, last March. Well, appraisers, real estate appraisers, mortgage appraisers don't look 365 days back. They only look 180 days back. So I will usually search 180 days back for comparable homes. So if you have a two-story house, I'm gonna look at two-story houses. What have two-story houses? A front-to-back split is not a comparable home to your two-story, but I still look at the price of a front-to-back split because if a front-to-back split sold for X, I know I can get more for your house because a two-story house is a more favorable floor plan, okay? Um, but yes, you look at all, I, can, I could never go to Kyle's house, and I, there might be realtors that do this. I could never go to Kyle's house and be like, Kyle, you should list your house for 365. And Kyle say, all right, sounds good. Kyle usually says, I want data for that. Okay, sounds good. I'll provide data of the, why I think it's 365. Um, I love it when people, I never say in a listing appointment, Kyle, what do you want for your house? Like, I always want to say, I think your house is worth X. And then I either get Kyle that says, nope, I think my house is worth this. Most of the time I have people say, oh my God, that, we thought our house was worth less than that. That's great. But you'll have a lot of realtors that go, well, what do you want out of your house? I think that is a, a, a cheesy way. A million dollars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, I, I never, I'll, I'll say, hey, I think your house is worth this. What do you think your house is worth? Um, and that's where it comes down to pricing it correctly. Trying to get, and don't get me wrong, I'll have sellers sometimes that are $50,000 away from me. And a lot of those times, I know that I don't want to probably list that house because I know that house is overpriced. And if I listen to them and let them control the situation, I'm going to list that house and it's going to sit on the market and I'm going to be the bad guy and it's a lose-lose. And I'll tell them that. I'll be like, guys, if I list or I'll say, you know what? We'll go your way. I like you. We'll go your way. But if your house doesn't sell in two weeks, we go my way. And most sellers are like, yes. Most sellers are just like, just entertain me. Let me just try this. You know what I mean? Um, but most of the time it's, 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 it's usually a, I negotiate back and forth. And I always tell people, I'm like, if I'm a good negotiator, I should be able to negotiate with you on what we should price your house at. I don't fold like a chair, um, yeah. which will then show you that I'll negotiate for your best half on, on the flip side when we get it under, go under contract. And I'm going to assume that you're basing your opinions off facts where they're basing theirs off of emotion or what they yeah, need. Correct. Yep. So, I'm strictly, I'm strictly going off of what I've seen, what I've seen in the market, what I've seen in other houses and comps, comparable yeah. homes. Okay. Um, so kind of going into part three here while we're on the market, we've listed it, we're on the market. I think we've kind of talked about, you know, what the yep. timeline is right now, um, given the current market. So, um, I guess, you know, you said, 48 hours, you should have multiple offers in this market right now. Um, I don't know. I, how many open houses should we plan on? Um, basically, just be gone for the weekend. Yep. Be gone for your weekend. Um, open houses. Um, that is 
they're going to the wayside, but don't run. There's a, there's a, a, a seller market out there that still likes open houses. Um, I have not done an open house and I don't even know how long. Um, open houses are a way for realtors to pick up clients. So when your listing agent wants to have your house open, they're doing that in hopes of somebody coming in and saying, hey, we're looking for a house and we don't have a realtor. I, I would love to show you some houses. Okay. Um, my bowl of cards over here. Take yeah, one, correct. Please. Correct. Um, or when you go to open house, a lot of realtors will have you sign in. The reason they're having you sign in is because they want your information so they can try to call you to, to show you houses. Um, open houses can sometimes be good because you can then, I mean, if I've got a seller that says, Tony, I only want to be out of my house for five hours. Okay. Well then I'll hold an open house and we'll make it five hours and it'll just be a circus. Um, but you'll get a lot of sellers that are like, I don't want to open house because I don't want unqualified buyers walking through my walking through and touching my stuff. Yeah. Um, or uh, the number one thing I hear is I don't want my looky loo neighbors walking through my house. So <laughs> a lot of people are not. And what's funny is, um, open houses, people see on HDTV that a realtor, Oh, they had, we're going to have our open house on Saturday from one to five. Da, 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 and we got seven offers. That's really not how the Kansas city market works. Um, that's how maybe the California market works, but that's not how the Kansas city market works, but there's nothing wrong with an open house, but, um, especially with COVID now, especially COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess viewings, viewings, showings, yeah. viewings usually start at 9am. They can start as early as 8am and they go as late as 9pm. However, how long the seller wants to approve a showing. Okay. Okay. Um, and then showings can last anywhere between 15 minutes to one hour. Sometimes an, an agent, a buyer's agent can schedule a showing between two to three. They show up at two. And they're out of the house by 2.15. That's when ring doorbells come in handy. Ring and nest doorbells. <clears throat> so if you have kids and a dog and you're like, oh, this showing's between 2 and 3, you can leave your house and you can watch your ring doorbell. I'm like, oh, they just got to the house. It's 2.05. And you can see them when they leave. So you're like, oh, we can go back to our house right now. Um, so those, I always say the video doorbells are great because you can actually tell when the buyer's leaving your house so you can go back home uh, uh, rather than driving around for an hour and knowing that nobody's been in your house for 45 minutes. Um, but yeah, showings usually in this market right now are lasting anywhere between a day to 48 hours to three days. Um, and they're throughout the day. There's, I mean, there's times that you can have, uh, it's packed house where there's a ton of, a ton of showings going on. Yeah. And that, this, you probably answered this with everything, but so with the dogs and kids in the current environment, it's probably, you know, just take that weekend vacation, board the dogs or take them to grandma and grandpa's. Yep, board the dogs, or if you're okay with putting the dogs in the back of the Explorer, um, you take them with you, you know what yeah. I mean? Um, but yeah, boarding the dogs is actually a good idea. Don't get me wrong, there will be a lot of times that people, sellers will put dogs in kennels down in the, in the storage room. Perfectly fine. Perfectly fine with that. If you're okay with doing that, you just want to, want to make sure that your dog, I mean, there's that type of dog that if somebody's in the house, they'll bark the yeah. entire time. You don't <laughs> want that going on because that'll take somebody's mindset off the house. But there's been plenty of houses I've looked at that you go downstairs in the basement, there's a note that says, hey, Cujo is in a kennel in there, very nice dog, you know, and you open the storage room door and there he is just chilling there like, oh my God, come pet me. Um, now, dogs are funny, but cats, you can't really take cats with you. Yeah. So every house I've ever had that listed that has a cat, the cat usually goes and hides. 
But my thought on cats is I'm a cat lover. I would I would prefer a cat over a dog. Now, most people are going to cringe when I say that. But dogs can tear the H-E double hockey stick out of a house. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah. what's funny is you could walk into a house with five dogs and people are like, oh, this is cool. You walk into a house that has one cat and be like, oh, my God, they got a cat. Oh, my God, they got a cat. Oh, and people. How many people are allergic to cats when really they're not um, and all that? But um, cat, you just got to let that thing just kind of roam, I guess. So. so funny story. The woman that lived here before us, she had a cat. Abby was her name. And uh, she cut out squares in a couple of the doors throughout the house for Abby so she could go use her litter box. We've got one in our storage room, one in our bedroom. Uh <laughs> Yeah, we thought it was cute when we were buying the house. Now we're like, why the hell do we do this? I have so. a joke because those cat doors are really, really small usually. I have a joke when I'm showing houses to kind of just mess around with buyers. They'll be like, oh, my God, what is that? I'm like, it's a, uh, like a ferret door. And they're like, what? I was like, a ferret? <laughs> and they're like, what? I'm like, these people probably have a ferret. And they're like, are you serious? I'm like, no, it's for a cat. And they're like, oh, okay, but it's hilarious. I'll be like, oh, it's a ferret door. And they're like, what? And I'm like, they have a ferret somewhere in this house. And they're like, oh, my God. So, yeah. Is that is that a common thing? People to cut holes in their doors for the cats? Yep. Yep. Or they have like little tunnels that the cats can go down or yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um All right. So we're on the market sorting through the offers. What are you looking for? Are you taking the highest offer or the cash offer? That's a good one. Well, this is a this is the this is I'm going to make this that's a conversation all on itself. We'll make this as short as possible. There are now in this market right now, when you're a seller and you get multiple offers, you're going to have a plethora of stuff. You're going to have price. You're going to have a letter from the buyer that says, hi, I'm Kyle and I went to K-State and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Which don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with the letter. I think the letter is a good idea. We okay? do. Um, and it, it's and a letter can work sometimes, especially with you have a family that. I mean, there are two types of people. There are people, actually most people are motivated by money. So they're looking for the highest price. But, but when you have 12 offers and three of them are all the same, that's when the letter comes into effect where they're like, hey, I really like these people. I mean, or there's some people, I mean, you lived in your house long enough. I mean, my old, my last house, we had, we brought two of our children home. My wife and I got married in that house. We brought two children home to that. So we had a sentimental touch to it, so we really wanted to pick our people. Or you know your neighbors really well. You want to make sure that your neighbors have cool people moving into your house. Okay, So you'll have pricing, you'll have a letter, and then you'll have the other negotiable things, uh, con or um, closing dates. Um, you'll have financing. Are they an FHA buyer? Are they a, con uh, a conventional buyer? All that. Um, you'll have then inspections. Are they going to have inspections? Are they going to accept the house as is? All that. When it comes to price now, you'll have escalatory clauses. That means they're offering you a certain amount, a number, but their offer escalates by a certain amount over your highest offer up to a max. Okay. And I explain that sometimes and people are like, what? I'm like, it's eBay pricing. You have your house listed for 300000 Okay. A buyer comes in and writes an offer for three hundred five, so they've just five thousand dollars over. But they write an escalatory clause of a thousand dollars up to three fifteen. So their offer is three hundred five, and that offer will go up by a thousand dollars over your highest offer up to three fifteen. Meaning 
you then get a 312 offer. That 305 now offer is 313. Okay. Um, now, all of that was normal. And then now this year, so 2021, folks, you have people that are now accepting a house as is, meaning, hey, as is number two, that says, I'm going to inspect the house. And after I inspect the house, I'm not going to ask for any repairs. I, I just, you gave me the right to inspect the house. I still want to buy the house. They can still cancel, but they can't ask for repairs. Or the new thing as of about a month ago, buyers are waiving their right to do inspections completely. Um, and people that are listening to this are going to go, oh my God, that's insane. Yep. But when there are 13 offers, you're trying to appeal like, hey, we might not be the highest, but we won't have inspections. Um, I personally think that is crazy for a buyer to be making their largest investment of their life and not knowing what they're getting themselves into. Um, but that is something that's going on. Also, the number one question that comes up to me now is house gets listed for 300,000. It sells for 360 and you get the people are like, how's the house appraising for that? How is the, I mean, the mortgage company has got to appraise the house. Well, now you have buyers. Most buyers are now waiving the appraisal saying, Hey, listen, if it doesn't appraise for 360 and it appraises at 350, we will make up the extra $10,000 in a normal market. Buyer and seller would renegotiate if the appraisal mm -hmm. came in low. Not anymore. Buyer is saying, hey, listen, I'll make up the difference. Or what will happen is some buyers are waiving their appraisal up to a certain amount. Saying The buyer will say, listen, if the appraisal comes in low, we'll cover up to X amount of money. And then seller, you make up the rest. Um, but uh, let's make, make this clear. A lot of appraisals are coming in at value because the appraisers know what the demand is right now. Yeah. And you've got listing agents that are saying, hey, I know that we sold this for 52000 over list price, but we had 13 offers and here is my list of all the offers we got. So um, crazy times, crazy times, Kyle. Great yeah. time to sell a house. I want, to, I want to make sure that is clear on this. It is a great time to sell a house. It is a not so great time to buy a house. So, and I'm, I'm telling that to sellers right now, like, hey, listen, you're going to make a lot of money when we sell your house, but you're going to pay a lot of money yeah. on the next house. And I had a guy two weeks ago, and this is my going joke right now, that said, well, dude, if I'm selling my house for 55000 over list, but you're telling me I'm going to use all that money because uh, I'm going to spend 55000 over list on my next buy, how do I make it in real estate? I said, you sell in Kansas City and you move to Wichita. That's how you make it in real estate. Um, <laughs> Because True Wichita story. is still Wichita is still a hot market, but their price their price per square footage is a lot less than what Kansas City is. But I I use it all the time. I'm like, well, to make it in real estate, you sell in Kansas City and you move to Wichita is what you do. Yeah. Um, but also when it comes to selling a house right now, I've kind of talked to you about this. Kyle says, "Ah oh, man, I want to sell my house because I'm going to sell it for so much money, but I have no idea where I'm going to go. And you don't want to list your house knowing that it's going to sell in a weekend because then you're, you and your wife are like, oh, where do we go? You're going to be homeless. So most times now you have sellers that are pre-photographing. I'm pre-photographing people's houses saying, hey, let's photograph your house. Let's get it ready for the market, but we're not going to do anything with it until you find the next house. 
once you find the next house and we secure the next house, then I list your house the next week and it goes on the market. So that's a lot. What what that's the lot. A lot of hesitation right now for sellers are saying, "Man, I, I want to yeah. sell a house, but I have no place to go." And so then it's more. Of, I always tell them like, "You need to talk to a realtor that knows what they're doing." That says, "Okay, guys, we can list your house." But let's find the next house first. And there's strategies, but there's lots of strategies behind finding the next house and then selling your house rather than selling your house and being like, oh, I'm gonna have to go stay in an extended stay for three months. You know what I mean? Um, that's a totally different subject or a different time to talk about those different strategies. But that's what people are doing now is most people, I mean, I've got a good 18 people, their houses photographed. I've got people that I photographed their house in August of 2020 right now. Okay that still haven't found a house that as soon as we find something, I'm going to be listing their house and people are going to go, Holy cow, look at all the leaves on their trees. Like, yeah, those photographs are from 2020, but um, they just haven't found a house yet. That's because how inventory is so low. Uh, um, Yeah. So that, I guess it's not a good time to be the buyer, right? Is kind of what, what we've been saying. And, but it's better to be, a seller and buyer when you're selling and also buying because you're kind of riding the wave up rather than just being the buyer first time buyer, and then right? yep also when you're a sell buyer right now yeah it, it is a bad time to be a first-time home buyer yeah. but it's not a bad time to be a sell buyer because most of the time if, if kyle and his wife are selling their house right now your next house I wouldn't say it's going to be your forever house, but it's going to be a long-term house. Okay. Yeah. So, and don't worry, you've lived in your house a good while now too, but you're going to bank on, and I, I, I will tell buyers right now, you're going to overpay on every house you find right now. You are. Um, but so if you're going to overpay for a house, let's do two things. Let's make sure we love this house and it checks all of our boxes or most of our boxes. And then let's also make sure that it's a long-term house. Let's make sure that the boys go to high school in this house because if you live in a house for eight or more years, uh, yeah, the market might go down, but it's going to come back up. You're going to you're going to go you're going to sell in a in a different time. But most people that are selling and buying right now are they're buying their 10, 12, 15 year house. You know what yeah. I mean? They're not buying a three to five year house. So, yep, they're banking on their house. They're overpaying on the house they're buying, but that house they're overbuying for pretty much checks all their boxes. Kyle's going to finally get his three-car garage. He's going to finally get uh, everything that he wanted that he didn't have in his last house. So that will leave him in that house for a long period of time. Yeah, yeah. And we talked about this before. Um, A lot of people are like, oh, is this a housing bubble? And it's, this is just the new price, right? Um, Yeah. It's the because of the supply. The demand is there. The supply is not. So... Um, do you really see the market going down, maybe slowing down once supply catches up, but you said, you know, it's going to be a few years before that happens, right? Yeah. For this, the, for this market to cool down, two things have to happen or not two things. One of two things has to happen. The demand has to slow down and for demand to slow down, interest rates have to go up. Okay. So that's probably going to happen. Interest rates going up is probably going to happen before supply increases um or option two is supply increases so then you have supply meeting the demand that's coming in i don't think supply is going to increase anytime soon 
because for supply to increase, more houses need to be built. So new construction needs to be going. And you'll have people say, well, new construction is thriving. They're building houses all over the place. Yeah, but they're not building it at the pace they should yeah. be. And the reason they're not building at the pace they should be is because material costs, because of COVID, the cost of um, sheetrock, the cost of lumber is so much higher that builders can't build the amount of houses they want to because material costs and material shortages. So <clears throat> supply is not going to be increasing anytime soon. But what I could see happening is interest rates going up. And what's crazy about interest rates going up is we have been in the twos and three percent interest rates for a very, very long time. Long enough, long enough time that people are getting so used to it that they're like, oh, this is normal. And then next thing you know, interest rates go to 4.5 and people freak out. Like, oh my God, they're at 4.5. Like, well, I'm not buying a house anymore. When 4.5 is still a really good rate, but it's just not two to three. But going to 4.5, I've joked. I really kind of want to see interest rates go up. I do. My buyer market, the my, my buyers aren't interest rate buyers. They're not buying because of an interest rate. They're buying because they need more square footage. They need a bigger house. So if interest rates go up, yeah, yeah, uh, that sucks. We're going to have to spend a little bit more monthly, but they can afford it. Um, but when interest rates go up, that gets a lot of these looky-loo buyers that are only buying because interest rates are low off, which yeah. will then maybe slow the demand a little bit. So Okay. Gotcha. Um, you kind of hit on it um, just a second ago about uh, being a – you call them buy-sellers? Uh, no, buyer. you you brought up that you brought up the phrase, and I kind of like that phrase. The the sell buyers, the sell buyers, sell, the, okay. the buyers that are selling and buying. Actually, they're so, selling their house and they're buying another one. So, kind of doing two things at once um, probably amplifies the stress. Uh, but you kind of touched on this topic before, but kind of the the financial side of it. And I ran into this recently where someone was selling their house. Um, and they were under contract to buy. And it was actually a new build. Um, and they needed the equity in their current home to, for the down payment on the new house. Um, and so getting that timing set up, ended up having to take out a, a loan from the retirement. Um, but uh, maybe maybe talk about how you navigate the selling your house. I mean, you kind of already did of, you know. Uh, nope. I know where you're going. This is a good question. So this is how you you do that. It's a it's a strategic move, um, and this kind of, there's multiple ways of doing this. But what happens is, I tell people, listen, your house is going to sell in a weekend. I know it is. So let's photograph it, and we have it, and we put it, we put those away. Your stress of selling your house is off. I don't want you to stress about that. I want you to stress about buying the next house. Okay. But don't get me wrong, Kyle's going to say, well, dude, I need my equity from that house to buy this next house, okay? True. You need a pre-approval letter that says you're not contingent upon your old house selling. What people don't realize is Kyle probably has the funds to actually buy the next house without the funds from the old house, okay? And the reason I say that is you don't have the funds to put 20% down but you have the funds to put 5% down on the new house, okay? Now, I'm not saying that you would want to do that, okay? So I tell people, I tell Kyle, like, Kyle, we're going to find the next house, okay? And it's we're sitting right now in April, okay? We're going to find the next house you want to buy, and we're going to set a closing date of June 15th, okay? And you're going to say, okay, 
I lock in that house with you on Sunday, I turn around and list your house the next Thursday, okay? And then you have multiple offers on your house and all the most of the offers you get, the closing date is blank because the buyer says, hey, you, you can pick whatever closing date you want. We'll close whenever you want. So then what you do is say, I want a closing date of June 15th. So then you're closing on old house and new house on June 15th. You're rolling your funds over to that new house. Now you are going to say, well, dude, how do I move in that many days? Well, you get possession of new house on June 15th. You close on June 15th, you get new house on June 15th. You close on old house on June 15th, but you don't get possession of that house until June 17th. So that gives you two to three days to get moved out of old house into new house, okay? Now, you're saying, that sounds awesome, but <laughs> what happens if it doesn't work out that way, okay? Most of the time it does, but if it doesn't, let's just say that you're gonna close on new house June 15th, you don't close on old house until June 30th or whatever, you know, if there's 30 days in June, okay? But, so what you do on there is you buy new house and you put 5% down, okay? And then when old house closes and you have all this money that came from old house, you then go to your mortgage company and you say you want to recast your loan. And I don't know if Taylor and Jen talked about that on your podcast last time, but recasting a loan is not a refinance. You are literally going back to the mortgage company and saying, hey, listen, I want, I have, I have now have 20% and now have 30% to put down on this house and they restructure your loan. Okay. Okay. Um, we talked about a bridge loan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bridge loan is, is one of the, a, a yeah. bridge loan is actually, you're still getting a loan out, but recasting is actually, you're still, Recasting. you're still okay. locked in your interest rate. You're, you're, and that's, that's the best way to do it. Um, the other option is Kyle, then the option three is Kyle says, dude, I don't even have 5%. And then this is when the financial, I need you to cover your ears, earmuffs, Kyle. I say, well, do you have a 401k? Do you have a savings account? Do you have, like, do you have money saved? Yes, I do. Okay. Well, if you want to do this and not be stressed, why don't we pull some money out of our, now, but the, I always say this, and I, I promise you this, I always say, Let's talk to our financial advisor first. Let's talk to him about, are there any penalties in pulling from my 401k? Because don't get me wrong, you know, some of these 401ks, you can pull money from it. And as long as you put the money back in within an X amount of days, you don't get penalized. And I can usually look at Kyle and say, Kyle, I need you to pull from your 401k, but in within 15 days, you're going to replenish that because we're going to sell your old house. So, but I always preface it of like, hey, let's talk to our financial advisor about maybe taking some money and using that as down payment and then to make sure you tell your financial advisor, I'm going to replenish that money after I sell my old house. But the financial advisor usually says, well, when is that going to close? When are you going to have that check? So, yeah, yeah. And, and typically your advisor is not going to, um, that's not going to be factored into your management fee that, that when you're dealing with like a 401k um, cause they're technically you, in most cases, not managing that it's just under yep. advisement. So, um, um, also, I will also tell people, I know this is, and this sounds stupid and you'll have some people say, I'm not going to do that. But sometimes I'll say, can we get a gift from mom and dad? You know, yeah. I, especially, Hey, can you get a gift from mom and dad that, Hey, mom and dad, I need a gift letter from you gift us this money. And in three weeks, I'm going to give you that money back. Um, that happens a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, they got equity. They got a lot of equity sitting in that old house. It's just about the timing of when they're going to get that equity. Yeah. I ran into an issue um, a couple months ago about uh, um, 
the gifting of money and that it could not be construed as a loan because if it was considered that uh, by the uh, um, lending company, I think it was a bank, um, they said that, that it'd be considered, you know, 100% financed if you are considering that as a loan. So it's got to be considered a gift. So they had to sign a, a disclosure saying this is a gift and not a, a yeah. loan. So gift letters are, are great. Um, the other thing I've seen this ha- has not happened with any of my clients yet, but a lot of first time home buyers right now are learning that they're losing to cash offers. Yeah. So there's a lot of cash offers out there, and you'll run into financial guys that are like, I got, you know, dad over here that just took out his entire Roth IRA and gave it to his son so his son could buy a house cash. Like it is nuts. How, I mean, there are people asking mom and dad to pretty much, hey, can you buy, pretty, mom and dad are pretty much doing the loan for them yeah. um, because cash offers, cash offers are, and don't, and don't get me wrong, cash is not king. We always say, well, are you always going to go with the cash even though it's not the highest offer? No, I'm not. Because a 20% down buyer is that is offering 20000 over that cash deal, I'm going with that finance deal because most finance deals do not fall apart right now because most finance, most mortgage companies are pretty strict on their on their underwriting. Yeah. So now close it out here. Part four under contract. How do we not screw it up? Um, under contract, it just like when you buy a contract is usually contingent upon, um, inspection, appraisal, and then, and financing. So if one of those three deals goes south, the buyer can cancel unless they waive their inspection. They can't cancel our inspection If they waive their appraisal. They can't do that. But if they lose their financing, the deal can still go south. So what to keep the deal together, we just need to make sure that buyer can stay financing. But what you really need to do is upfront need to make sure that we're going under contract with the buyer that will be able to perform um, one. And then two, make sure that we have a somewhat clean house that's not going to fall apart after inspections and a house that's going to appraise out at value. So it actually is fairly easy as long as agent stays on top of everything and make sure the process goes smoothly. A lot of times it comes down to the buyer's financing. Oh, we need to extend by. So that's why an agent, lenders probably hate my assistant because we're calling the lender. Hey, everything good with this? Have we ordered appraisal? I mean, it's, I'm doing it for my seller. I'm making sure that we know what's going on because I'd rather know if there's going to be a bump in the road two weeks in advance so I can say, hey, Kyle, there could be a bump in the road on this rather than calling convict. Hey man, we had a bump in the road and Kyle's like, what the hell? How do we, what, why do we not know about this? So it's a lot of it has to do with your agent calling, checking in with the lender, making sure everyone stays on task. Number one. Um, also just making sure that communication is always going so that nothing gets dropped, but it's actually uh, most the, once you're through inspections, a deal's pretty much smooth sailing. Okay. Awesome. Uh, any, any last things you'd like to add? No, I think I, I mean, I added it earlier. Like, I mean, people look at numbers right now and say, Oh my God, I want to sell a house. I want to sell my house. I want to sell my house. (laughs) But what happens is then I sit down with them and say, okay, this is what it looks like to buy a house right now. And they're like, like, don't get me wrong. The people that are relocating out of Kansas city 
depending on what market they're going to, those are the guys that are that are in really good shape because they're like, hey, I'm selling, I'm going to sell in a hot market. But usually, if it's hot in Kansas City, it's going to be a hot market in Orlando. It's going to be a hot market in Dallas. But it is, I mean, things are selling for, I mean, a lot of money. I mean, there are some crazy offers. I mean, I, I listed a front-to-back split in Shawnee this last weekend for three. I listed it for three hundred ten thousand, and we sold it for three sixty-five, fifty-five thousand dollars over a list. Um, awesome. And all numbers say that this house is not worth that. All numbers say that this is a three twenty-five, three thirty house, maybe. Um, but this, it's the demand is so nuts right now um, that if you can sell your house right now do it but what happens is then tony shows up and says guys i'm going to sell your house for top dollar but where are we going to go yep. and then it's then then the then the brakes kind of get put down but don't worry, i mean i have lots of people that are looking that want to that are going to sell their house but we got to find a house first yeah smartly yeah what what's the most absurd deal that you've got seen go through lately um, that I don't, did I say that earlier? I had a $775,000 house that I showed a buyer, um, three weeks ago, we offered eight sixty five for that house and we lost to an eight ninety three. Yeah. Um, house was listed for 775,000 and it sold for eight ninety three. Um, but I will also tell you the most insane offers I've seen lately are the buyers that are totally waiving their inspections, yeah. their right to have inspections. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of these houses have been pre-inspected, so not bad. You could look at like a, a seller could have their house pre-inspected to make sure they know what's going on with the house. That would be, I if I have a pre-inspection report and I can look at and have some sort of inspection, I could maybe advise a buyer to waive their inspections. But man, that is, that's crazy talk. That is, that's, um, it's the biggest investment of their of their life, and they're literally going in not knowing what the sewer line looks like. They don't know what you know, like it just I don't know, kind of kind of scary there. Um, and then also waiving the appraisal is kind of insane because then you got to think that if the appraisal comes in forty thousand under the purchase price, that buyer has to come up with $40,000. The next question is, buyer, do you have $40,000 extra? That's on top of their down payment. That's, I mean, that's not included their down payment. So a lot of times you have people waiving their appraisal contingency, but they don't have the money. So then, but let me go back and I'm representing Kyle as the seller. If I'm representing you and I'm listing your house and I have someone that says, hey, we waived the appraisal contingency, I... Can protect us and say, I want to see proof of funds. Yeah. I want to see how much money you have in your bank account so that this, if this does not appraise for $40,000, you are not walking out on us and you can afford the $40,000 underage. So, okay. Underage, I don't even know if that's a word. So, um, I guess uh, real quick, costs associated with selling the house. We've talked about realtor commissions. Typically, you're looking at 6%. It's going to be on the seller's end usually. Yep. Um, one question I get is capital gains, and you might know specifics, but two hundred fifty thousand dollars of appreciation for a single, five hundred thousand for a married couple filing jointly um, that you get above <clears throat> your purchase price, and that in addition to um, uh, 
increase in basis from uh, uh, improving you bought them. the yep. house. Now, the only thing on capital gains, what people don't realize, and I'm not savvy enough on capital gains. That's a, always an accountant question, I always say. Um, but capital gains, there's always a time frame. Like if you lived in the house for two years and you made X amount of dollars, you're going to get capital gains. But if you made $250,000 on a house you lived in for 20 years, you don't get capital gains on that because you lived in the house long enough. So there's a time frame on capital gains. Yeah. Yeah. So with uh, typical capital gains, um, you were interested about stock investments. So what you're looking at to make it from short term, which short term capital gains are taxed at ordinary income rates, whereas long term capital gains are taxed at long term capital gains rates, which are lower, um, ranges from zero to 20 percent currently. Um so they're more favorable, but to get long-term capital gains when you're looking at stocks, it's a year and a day holding period um, is what you want to look for. Um, but with uh, the homes, there's some, uh, it's a five-year time period that you're looking at where it's at least two years, it was your primary residence, right? It's kind of mm -hmm. general. Yeah. There's some nuances to that rule, but that's kind of what you're looking for. Cause I've had questions about that of what sort of taxes are we going to owe on this? I'm like, dude, unless your house is appreciated over $500,000 of your property, you're not going to, yeah, you're good. Exactly. And that's not happening yeah. in this area <laughs> unless you're, you know, living the, on a the, ward park. The people that got to, the people that worry about that, that worry mostly about capital gains are the flippers, the guys that say, Oh, I bought this house for a hundred thousand. I just sold it for four twenty five. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so that's, those that's are the another, guys, yeah. another caveat to that is, we're talking about primary residence, not rental property. Yep. So, yep. yeah. Um, okay. Oh, um, other fees. Um, so you'll have real estate commission. You'll have title fees. So as a seller, you're paying a title company to actually run title search to provide clear title to your buyer. That title fee is based upon the cost of the house. So um, I don't know. On a, I mean, you're looking at about anywhere between five hundred to two thousand um, dollars for that. Um, a typical house is more like seven hundred dollars for a title for title fees. Okay. Then the other one that people always forget about is taxes are paid in arrears in Kansas and Missouri. So when you pay your taxes, you're paying for previous months. You're not paying for months ahead. Um, so when you close on a house, there are month that's, there's money that is owed for taxes that have not been paid. So you'll always see a tax credit to the buyer. You, the seller give $2,000 of tax money to the buyer because the buyer is going to have to owe those taxes. Yep. But I always like to tell people that somewhat can be a wash number because if you have a mortgage on the house, your mortgage company has an escrow account that they keep extra money for you that holds for taxes and insurance. Well, when they pay off your mortgage, that escrow amount that's sitting in there gets mailed back to you. So usually that number that you just credited the buyer will eventually come back to you because it was in your escrow account. Right, right. I always get people, I was like, oh my God, what's this money that I'm giving the buyer for taxes? I'm like, that's money that is going to be owed for taxes that you just haven't paid yet. I'm yeah. Like, oh, I'm like, but you're going to get that out of your escrow. Like, all right, sounds good. So yeah. no, when you sell, your only closing costs when you sell a house are real estate commissions, title fees, and your taxes. Awesome. Well, I didn't think we could do it, but uh, I think we blew the last episode out of the water on the time. So lots to cover here. Lots to cover here. Yeah, I think we could it is. have gotten to some more stuff, but uh, this, is, this is great. I appreciate you hopping on. 
and uh, always, always look forward to seeing you, man. Dude, I love, I love talking. You know that. So I oh. appreciate that you always offer this up to me. I love it. Um, and thanks again for having me, man. Anytime, anytime. We'll have to have you back on again soon. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks. Talk to you later, bud. Bye. You know, I should be tired right now, but uh, Tony Long kind of energizes me. So uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, I had a lot of fun with Tony and, uh, you know, you can find out more information about Tony in the show notes, uh, check out his website, give him a call. If you're looking to buy or sell a house, uh, really good guy, um, and is, is going to take care of you. So, um, next up, I'm not sure what we're going to be talking about next. Got a couple ideas. Uh, I know crypto's kind of a big topic right now and, uh, ESG investing um, are, is also another um, interesting topic that I, I want to discuss. Um, a lot of people are changing jobs right now, which is kind of prompting um, uh, some thoughts about doing an episode on um, what to do with f- old 401k plans, uh, with your old 401k account. Um so, uh, yeah, a couple, couple things kind of in the hopper that I'm uh, looking at doing. So I guess stay tuned and uh, I'll plan to get this next one out a little sooner than, um, than the, the, the timeline for this um, most recent episode. So as always, uh, if you'd like more information about me or Hilltop Financial Planning, you can visit HilltopFP.com for links and resources mentioned in the podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes. You know, everything's in the show notes, even the walk-up songs. Um, Also, be sure to hit the subscribe button, or I think it's follow now. I think Apple changed it to follow. So uh, that way you get all the new episodes when they drop. And if you could do me a favor and leave the podcast a review, that'd be appreciated. You know, remember, five stars is the appropriate number of stars. Uh, You can find personal finance from the Hilltop where podcasts are found. At Hilltop, we continue to bring on new clients. We're staying busy right now. Um, but uh, if you or someone you know are interested in discussing how we can help you find financial freedom, go to our website and click on Schedule a Call in the upper right-hand corner. I offer a free 30-minute introductory call. No sales pitch, just a conversation about you and what you're looking for and how I might be able to help. Lastly, the dreadful, scary disclaimer that I was advised by my compliance to read, and that is, everything on this podcast is my opinion or my guest's opinion and is not meant to be taken as investment advice because I'm not your financial advisor, nor have I discussed or considered your personal situation as a fiduciary. This podcast is for educational purposes only. Hilltop Financial Planning, LLC, is a state-registered investment advisor in the state of Missouri, but serves clients nationwide where exempt from registration. See what I did there? You thought I was going to go fast, but I went slow. (laughs) Another episode of Personal Finance from the Hilltop in the books, signing off. From the Hilltop, I'm Kyle Hill.